welcome to I Hope I Can Make It Through, Degrassi Viewing Podcast. I'm your very excited veteran, Donnie. I'm your season four neophyte, Frank. And today we're going to be checking out Degrassi season four, episode one and two, Ghost in the Machine. Now, to help us through and kicking off our new season, we have our returning guest, Nikki. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hi, Nikki. So... I feel like I know the answer to this one, but it's always worth asking. It's been a while since we saw you. I think we saw you at the beginning of, what, like, season two? There was something with high fashion. It was the one... It was, um... Uh, uh, Drake was dressed as, um... Michael, Michael Jackson. Jackson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was the, the polar bear... <laughs> calling Spinner a polar bear oh, yeah. and polar bear accusing... Uh, and Spinner <laughs> accusing Jimmy of being racist. <laughs> And, um... Marco's first episode. Yeah. Our sweet, sweet boy. Mm-hmm. The most the most iconic line of all time that actually ended racism. Truly. Um, paved way for the current utopia we're living in. Fuck. Um, so, Nikki, <laughs> I know that you, um, helped us out during our anniversary episode with providing some lines, um, for the reenactment section, but other than that, have you watched any Degrassi since the last time you've appeared? Uh, listen, guys, it's still a no. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's not, this was not a trick question or anything. No, I, I watched uh, the two episodes that we'll be talking about today, and that's about, oh, um, no, I did, my, I was at, I was at a party of some variety, and someone put on a show, and then in that show, they were, and I was like, I was on a podcast about that show. <laughs> <And cool. laughs> so something, something I, has happened. Yeah, no, that's about. I was pretty drunk and very excited about it, but I don't think anyone else was. Okay. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you back. Um, before we get too far into this episode, um, definitely have to stick some content warnings on this one. This one is going to be talking a lot about sexual assault, particularly about Paige. Um, and her experience with rape that happened back in season two. Um, we're also going to be talking about PTSD, uh, specific to Paige and how she was processing that. Um, we're also going to be talking about abuse within the context of Craig and the abuse that he went through. Um, we're going to be also talking about hate crimes and specifically Marco's experience back in season three. And also we're going to have some ableism in the discussion as well. So basically a lot of the traumatic shit that has happened in the past few seasons is going to come back in this season. Yeah. Which we will definitely talk about more in more detail as we get to the episode. But before we get too far into this and discussing the bits and pieces of it, Nikki, would you like to introduce our A-plot and our B-plot? I would love to do that. Are we doing both episodes together? since they're like a two-parter yes. kind of situation? Or... Yep. Yep, okay. Um, so the A-plot is Paige receives a summons to court as the complainant in a rape case that happened a couple years back. Um, and then continuing in episode two, uh, she confronts her rapist after that trial and then confronts the rapist's car with another car. Um, and the B-plot over both the thirds is Craig gets a check from his father's estate uh, for his birthday, was it on a really boring-looking guitar? Like, if he's gonna buy a full grand guitar, like I want some Elton John sequence on there. 
and I mean, it's true. And then continuing on, Craig is a brat to his stepdad about it. Start with the B plot. Anyway, yeah, let's start with the hey. B plot. Um, so our B plot. I'm going to... The thing about the B-plot is it actually takes a while for it to kick in in the first episode. Mm -hmm. um, there are moments where we get focus away from the A-plot, but a lot of it is kind of checking in on different characters and seeing where they're at. The B-plot actually kicks in, I would say, about six minutes, seven minutes into the episode. Uh, honestly, the B-plot... I was... Yep. Nikki? I was, sorry, I was, I was just pretty confused in general about what was... Because... Uh, Ashley, who, by the way, good aesthetic. Right? Is that her name? Yes, yes, it is. Good aesthetic. I like that. Um, and there was some drama there. And I mean, I think it was just like they were taking time establishing the fact that it's a new school year and whatnot, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, we set the kind of awkward tone with Craig walking toward his locker, and we see that it's super decorated for his birthday. Okay, so here's the thing. I don't know where this fits in, but, like, that, this is, like, one of our first shots back at Degrassi proper. Yeah. Um, and honestly, and I just wanted to say, like, I really liked, actually, the way this B-plot was threaded in, because it felt like it was just here to give me a reprieve. Yes. Because it was just... Yeah, fair enough. Because it was just like, oh my god, this is so intense, I hate all of this, and then it was just like, okay, back to Craig and his, like... His bullshit. Yeah, like... <laughs> Okay, I'm somewhere. Like, but it wasn't like it wasn't like too goofy that it was like making you cringe in the other direction. Like I'm glad they didn't do any, you know, middle school B plot like oh, we put a, a a slime on the principal's sandwich, you know, like yeah, exactly. No, I agree. That I actually found the writing in this episode to be very good. Um, I found that the way that the A-plot and the B-plot were woven together was very well done. It, it felt like the B-plot, though there were stakes in it, it wasn't approached with the same severity that the A-plot was being approached with, which I, I appreciated. I also felt that it feels like this, there's like, it feels like in the third season they were figuring out how to kind of do this more serialized approach. You saw the beginnings of some really good writing decisions, and I feel like this episode is a very cohesive vision of what they were trying to do in season three. Um, there's a lot of music used in this episode, which the songs are pretty of the time period, you know, I'm not going, like, I've discovered some bands through Degrassi. This is not an episode where I really discovered a band, but the music felt like it was a good fit for the scene. It, the lyrics complemented what was going on in the scenes and things like that. So, like, you could, it felt like a very cinematic experience there was a lot of intent with it and it, it was moving like a such a well-oiled machine and i really appreciate that aspect of it um in the case of this plot it really begins with craig walking toward his locker and he sees that his locker is like really well decorated for his birthday so the B plot kind of kicks in a little later, but there are some little scenes that we see of Degrassi during the first day of school um, and we kind of see and touch upon certain characters and where they're at. Um, and one of the scenes is actually Toby, Liberty, and Emma as they're entering the school and literally all of them are just like, oh yeah, Emma's like, oh yeah, I broke up with Chris. And Toby's like, oh yeah, I broke up with Kendra. And Liberty's like, uh, oh, BT dubs, I broke up with Towers. And it's like, great job, Degrassi. You've gotten rid of three people of color over the course of, like, six lines. 
Yeah, that very much bewildered me as uh, someone who does not know these people. I was like, damn, kids. I mean, listen, here's one thing. It really do be like that. It, it does. It's true. <laughs> like, the summer um, comes and all that type of stuff definitely can and will implode or just, like, kind of you get yeah. unintentionally ghosted because you're you're never in town for the summer or whatever. Literally, yeah. I know. I don't know how these kids did it because God knows I wouldn't have had a mobile phone if I was their age. Um, and, you know, if I had a summer fling, I'd, I'd be like, well, bye. <laughs> you, you want next year. <laughs> see ya right it's just um, like it is so it's kind of frustrating because um I mean from my understanding Chris is still in the series at this point I don't think I don't know if Towers ever comes back cause it doesn't he didn't it didn't say that he left like I haven't really checked to see if he officially left last season but we know Kendra is gone and it's just like so I guess on one hand, I actually got a conclusion to Toby and Kendra's relationship after I was searching for it so so much in season three. But it's just like, okay. Goodbye. Um, R.I.P. Kendra. So, uh, so this moves us into the school. Um, JT and Manny. Oh, fuck. What train wrecks of people. They're, like, walking through the halls. They're like, oh, these freshmen are so little. Remember when we were so little? <laughs> And then, like... Shut up, though. I do that every year. I know, right? I'm like, they're so fucking tiny. <laughs> they're baby. <laughs> now I work with sixth graders, so, like, they really are baby when they start at the beginning of the uh, year. Like, my kids are... Fit, like, it, we're getting to the end of the year. Like, the time of recording, this is my last week of program, and I'm, like, watching all the kids, and I'm like, oh, my God, you've all gotten so much taller. <laughs> like, you, you were so small when you started. Um... But it's true, they are babies, and, like, they're just kind of, like, cooing about it, and then, like, one boy comes up to them, and it's like, oh, I'm lost, and then, like, shuts JT out and tries to, like, flirt with Manny. The boy's just like, where's the principal's office? And he's like, oh, it's this way, and he's like, good, go, go there while I spend some time with your girlfriend. Did you, um... That's the funniest thing I ever heard. I was like, <laughs> that's so fucking smooth. Yeah. Right? I love that kid. Well, do you know, Frank, who that is? Did no. you read the wiki? It's Liberty's little brother. <laughs> Good on you, Liberty's little brother. Like, he'll get more time on screen, so you'll, like, get to know him, but that's how they chose to introduce him as, like, a presence in Degrassi. That makes perfect sense. Right? That makes absolutely perfect sense. You I have, know. You have the overachiever, and then the person in the background who's just like, hey, I'm just gonna grow up and do my own thing. Yeah, like, I'm just here. I'm Like, you know, he's the kid that you get, like, the teacher gets, and he's like, oh, Van Zant. oh, you must be Liberty's brother. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so like this leads us to Craig's locker, which has been decorated for his birthday. Like really well done. There are like photos of him. There are there are like music note balloons and stuff. Like it looks really cute. And as he's looking at it, he bonks into Ashley, whose locker is now apparently like five down from his. I mean, her last name's Kerwin. His last name's Manning. Mm. It's a hard maybe they would be close. I don't think they would be right next to each other, but they would be probably close. Well, I thought that's what she was doing when he walked up. She's, like, in her locker. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying, I'm just saying, like, by, by virtue of, depending on how big the class is, like, 
they would probably be within the same region of the lockers if it's alphabetically. Oh, good. And then, yeah, so then everybody's around that area, because Michael Chuck and Mason. Yeah, like, the only person, um, the only people who would probably be away would be, like, Hazel and Jimmy, because it's Aden and, uh, Brooks. Yeah. So. Oh, their lockers are going to be close to each other. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he bonks into Ashley, and he, like, tries to ask her about it, but he ends up, like, sounding very accusatory about it, because he just <laughs> does not know what to do. Obviously, we know they fell apart last season. It was a really horrible ordeal for various reasons. Um, Craig fucked up. Ashley did not handle it very well. <laughs> I don't really blame her. That's why I'm, like, so apprehensive to say, like... Ashley handled it as best she could. As best as she could for a kid who's just... Craig did not handle it at all. No, no. And, and now there's a lot of things left unsaid, a lot of feelings unresolved. Um, and Craig is, you know, wondering if Ashley did it until <laughs> Marco pops his head in to, like, into the hall. His hair is flat ironed. He's wearing these, like, wraparound shades. He's wearing a suit jacket, a shirt and tie, collared shirt and tie. He's wearing very large jeans that are cuffed basically to his kneecaps. And he's wearing boots. <laughs> did Ellie dress him that so way? Good. No, he it definitely so did that on his own. The man has the horses in the back. Like, it's <laughs> such a fucking outfit. I love it. It's so like what a gay kid would wear the the first day of school yes. after he's come out. Like that is exactly yeah, what you wear. It's what I would wear today. Exactly. Like, it's so powerful. This is the gay representation that we want. But he's just kind of like, yeah, I work my ass off on this. Like I set this all up for you. Happy birthday. And Craig just kind of, like, clasps his hand on Marco's shoulder, and he's like, hey, are you dating anybody? No, seriously, are you dating anybody? <laughs> I was trying to figure out if, if, what the slang, I got horses in the back is. <laughs> oh, oh, Frank, you know nothing. <laughs> Frank! Uh, I dated that episode with the, this, this one line here. <laughs> no, it's okay, because um, the season finale of season of season three, Billy Ray Cyrus makes an appearance yeah, on it. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh my god. So, like... <laughs> the man, the myth, legend. I was gonna say, Marco's got that flat iron and the, the wraparound shades that Billy, Billy did rock that. Uh, for a long while there, so that is, I mean, everyone did, but that is so funny. It God really is. That His character's name is Duke. Yeah, it's really good. It's like the best uh, cameo I've ever laid eyes on. He's, oh my god. It was so good. I want Duke and Marco Adventures. That would be a sight to behold. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so Craig, like, kind of walks off screen with Marco. It's just like, hey, are you dating anybody? Are you dating anybody? Craig, like, has this potential to not be great by rep, but, like, a disaster by, unfortunately. <laughs> he would be horrible by rep, but unfortunately, like, I feel like there's disaster. Yeah, there's, like, chaotic yeah. by energy in him. And I can't deny yes. it. You would need... I, I like him very much. I'm actually quite fond of him. When I saw he was in this episode, I was like, aw. You it's, know? Yeah. Um, and you're so right. He he has he has all of the chaotic bias that I feel like you know the alignment chart. We all know the alignment chart, but yes. 
the the chaotics are more likely to be buys and the buys are more likely to be chaotics in the world. Just that's just my opinion. Um, <laughs> but that is a hot yeah, no, he's a perfect. Thank you. Um, it's a perfect intersection of that. I do believe. Yeah, like I I can't. Craig and I have such a complicated relationship because it's like season two, Craig, I love. Season three, Craig, I hate. Season four, Craig, as of two episodes in, I'm okay with. Mm. It. I think the problem with Craig is like he is a kid processing trauma and I think sometimes the writers are very mindful of it. I think in this plot it works really well as like this is a kid who is not doing the right thing but you understand why he's not doing the right thing. Meanwhile, in season three, I think they drop that thread quite a bit to just kind of make him a bit of a heel. But here, he's actually, like, you know, he's fucking up, but, like, I get it. And I, I, I can sympathize with him enough that I can, like, not cringe whenever his plot kicks in yeah. in this episode. I really enjoyed this, this plot line, actually. Me too. Um, we see the plot continue by going to Joey's. Um, and Caitlin is providing a birthday message, <laughs> and, like, the way that it's formatted is, like, there is, like, this flat-ass backdrop of, like, a very red sunset and some palm trees. Hi, Craig, it's me. Oh, <laughs> she, like, has her hands on her shoulders, and she's, like, looking out in the distance. It's almost like she had just finished up filming a scene, and then, there, and then she was like, oh, while the cameras are here, I'll film, like, a little birthday message to Craig. Hi, Craig, it's me. Caitlin Ryan. <laughs> it's, me, it's me, Caitlin Ryan of W Action News. I'm here in Africa, or at least in front of a backdrop from Lion King from Broadway. <laughs> you might notice the sun isn't moving at all. There's a reason for that. <laughs> These are the best years of your life. Yeah, she's like, These are the best years of your oh life. Oh my god, yeah. She's like, I know other people will tell you that and it's full of shit, but I'm saying it, so believe it. Even though I'm here in Thailand, living my dreams now, and I'm nearly 30. <laughs> I've been nearly 30 for five years, don't tell no one. I, do you think Caitlin yeah, is the... No, she... Go on, please. <laughs> Sorry. She, it, it reminds me so much of the dating uh, that you used to get sent around. Like, she looks like she's, like, stunting for a hot date, you know? Uh, and I... Her energy is just so weird, and also when it pans around to um, the three people watching it in the room, like Craig, is is it stepdad? Yeah, Joey. Well, yeah, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Uh, is he technically his stepdad because Sorry. he's married to? Half he was step. married to Craig's mom, so technically he is his stepdad. Yeah. Hmm? Do you do you want a quick yeah. do you want a yeah. quick rundown of that, Nikki? <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like a lot to unpack. I that kid does not have a great relationship with his deceased father. I can give you that much on yeah. the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the rest is foreign to me. Yeah, it's it's very con. It's not well. It's, it is kind of convoluted, honestly. So Craig's parents were married. Craig's mom, whom we assume it's like heavily implied that she was like also abused by his dad. She like, absconds from the relationship and seeks a relationship with Joey, eventually gets married to him. But Joey and Craig really didn't have any point of connection until, jo until like, um, Craig's abuse escalates and he moves to Degrassi, um, to the Degrassi area and things like that. So when Craig's father died, Joey became his kind of, like, 
his, I don't think he's formally adopted. He's kind of like fostering him, I think, yeah. right now. Um, but technically, he is his stepdad, though, because he was married to his mom. Yeah. There's, yeah. There was a whole thing where Craig kept wanting to be around Angie. Um, it's really sad, actually. Yeah. But it's, it's a I lot. I like him. I like Joey very much as a character. I think he's cool. But anyway, the three of them look so fucking bored at this Stay Lost video that they have to watch, like, uh... It's so confusing how that that DVD and or VHS made its way to. Is it? Do we see it's VHS? We're just assuming. I mean, I don't I think that's a wrong assume, assumption. Because yeah. like you just like imagine all the postage that had to go into that, and then like getting it from Africa to Canada. Well, I think it was Thailand. She says really? she's signing off from Thailand. Oh, so it's not Africa. If she's is she's going from from Thailand, and she says goodbye in a different language. But I didn't look it up to confirm what language. I've just seemed so like I'm a I'm a very cultured individual. Okay, cards on the table. I saw this was gonna be cringy. I skipped through it. That's valid. <laughs> that um, that's very much valid. But anyway, so she did one of these things. Um, and Angie is so bored by it. She's like, oh, yeah, so now we get to eat cake, right? Like, we're fucking done, right? Okay. Bless that child. I love that fucking kid. Me, too. Um. She is so precious. She is the light of my life. Um, but Craig is like, well, it's my birthday. Like, I don't want to eat cake. I want my presents. Which, like, there. Like, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> and he just kind of, like, opens up his arms expecting this huge-ass gift. Yeah. <laughs> And Joey's just like, uh, here's an envelope. <laughs> well, he's wearing a crown. Yes, which is definitely made by Angie. <laughs> and he's just like, I am the birthday person here. <laughs> I guess, where's my stuff? And then, like, Joey's just like, here's an envelope. I create birthdays, and I destroy them. He truly does. But, um, <laughs> Joey gives him the envelope, and when Craig opens it, he sees that it is $10,000 from his dad's estate. And Joey is like, yeah, this is kind of, like, it was specified that this is your birthday gift. When you turn 18, you'll get your full inheritance. Which makes sense. Um, he, even though, like, Craig has a lot of feelings to unpack about this, it makes sense. He was the only mm. kid. So, you know, he was going to end up with this money. I understand his complicated feelings toward it. Mm. Um, and he's trying to process it, but as he's trying to process it, Angie legitimately takes the cake and, like, shoves it in his face <laughs> and goes, Cake! Now! <laughs> the girl knows what she wants. She does! I would have liked to think there was as heartfelt a letter as Shitlord could have, uh, come up with. I and was... then, like, he, like, you start hearing the Shitlord dictate it. Like, in a voiceover. Yeah. And then Craig starts crumpling it up, and the voiceover just stops. <laughs> See, I do not... I was under the impression... This is just my gut read of it. My gut read, especially because they did not emphasize that it was a letter, my gut read was that it was just, like, a legal document. Yeah. I don't think there was any yeah, sentiment I was attached. Like, yeah, I thought it was a check or something at first, and that his dad might be alive somewhere. But when they explained it, I was like, oh, okay, this is just part of the estate kind of thing. Like, there was no... In, yeah, definitely. The way I saw it was like there's no familiarity attached to it at all. Yeah, it's an extremely cold exchange. You can tell that Craig's like trying to make sense of getting this money. He's getting money from an abuser. 
This mm. is obviously incredibly difficult to process. We've seen Craig have a lot of issues with the gray area toward his father, especially at the finale of season two. We know that he was like trying to make sense of his emotions when his father died, about how he cared about his father, even though he hated his father. It's like, it's a fucking mess. So now he has like this physical moment, like memento of his father, and it's, it's fucking hard. I had a, a kid I went to high school with. Um, his father, like, basically had nothing, didn't want anything to do with him for most of his life. Mm-hmm. And then, like, at the tail end of high school, he, his father came to him and said, like, hey, I want to give you some money and, you know, to make up for the fact that I haven't been there. He's just like, I want nothing from you. Just get out of my face. Yeah, I mean, I would be the same I, fucking way. I, I love that energy, but as is poor and has or um, and also a shitty dad, it's like, damn, I wish my dad was shitty but rich because I would milk that cat. I'm sorry. Like, I, I'm happy to take any money out of this situation uh, and then get the fuck out and then probably buy a sick guitar. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the reason why I... This is, like, very personal, but whatever. The reason why I did not come out to my parents as long as I did was so I could get them to pay for my college tuition. Fuck yeah. Yeah. that dollar. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know situations such as life, unfortunately. Yeah. It's... I do not feel bad spending other people's money um, because mostly because I've never had the opportunity to do it. Anyone yeah. who's into feet pictures, please hit me up. Um, I can sit on a cake, whatever you like. Um, uh, I just need a rich benefactor, and then we'll know exactly how I'll react in that circumstance. Thank you. <laughs> so you can put all your contact information at the end of the episode when we say, hey, how can people yeah, contact thank you? So you? Much. Yeah. People yeah. will know. <laughs> you get a pinky toe for free, and then the rest you got to pay for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but, um, the plot continues, um, and we are in class, Ashley sees Craig, and he's just doing backwards G-clefs, which, bless him, G-clefs are very hard to do, I don't blame him, um, and she's just like, uh, sorry I was being weird, those are backwards, um, and Craig is just like, you weren't being weird so much as you were just kind of avoiding the situation, um, but they kind of get that awkwardness out of the way. Um, but they, and they both kind of just, if there's this interesting exchange where Craig says like, well, first Ashley says, listen, I didn't mean to be all weird yesterday. And Craig goes, no, you weren't weird. You just ignored me, which I guess is sort of being weird, but not, sorry, now I'm being weird. And Ashley goes, look, I was helping, I was hoping we could be friends, but as soon as I saw you, Craig says, you got sucked into some bizarro last year time warp. And I really like that because I think that it speaks to how Ashley gets very hung up on things. Whether she's in the right or not, Ashley's the type of character who consistently like gets very attached to an idea or a feeling, and it's very hard for her to let it go. But I do like that we do see growth between last year where she would just fucking go off at the at him in the middle of a cafeteria to now where we see that she physically has a reaction she remembers but she also is not like attacking him like going for the jugular in that moment yeah i like that she still has these complicated feelings 
but I also appreciate that, you know, a year has passed, or a couple months, really, in this, in this situation, but she's had a summer to think about things, she's had, like, a summer, and, like, she's had time to make new memories, and she's had time to step away from this that she doesn't have to be, like, at his throat. Yeah. Um, but they get talking up to, about the birthday situation, and Craig acknowledges that it was fucking weird, um, and because he brings up the money, and he says that his father is still trying to buy him, and specifically he says it's pathetic. And Ashley, bless her fucking heart, this is, like, only a kid who has never been abused can possibly, like, say this type of shit. Where she's like, well, maybe he's just trying to make up for all, everything. God bless. Yeah, that, that ain't how that works. And I mean, regardless, like, I know what I said, but, um, never actually accept someone's forgiveness in monetary you keep your grudge and keep their money. Oh, hell like. yeah. No, I agree 100%. With, it's it's one of those things where, and this is a thread we've seen with Ashley before, where, like, she did not quite understand the stakes, like, the severity of Craig's abuse before. Like, even after he died, the father died, like, Ashley was still like, you know, like, I don't know, I mean, like, he was okay. Um, like, she just... You could tell that she comes from a perspective where she has never had to experience something like this. And bless her. I don't know how else to say. It's like, must be nice to have parents that love and support you. <laughs> Truly. I'm, I'm, sorry, were you talking about, like, the first time they met? I got, I got oh, yeah, there's a, there's a couple moments where Ashley just does not get, yeah, get it. Because I was looking, I, I remember, I wanted to make sure it was her... Um, who's in Tears Are Not Enough, the last showing of Shit Lord, um, where, who's just, actually just like, people can change. Yeah, she really beefs it from, like, start to finish. Yeah. But I get it. Like, if you have not gone through it, and, and she's also a character who notoriously has issues, like, listening, I understand why she's a character who really struggles with understanding, like, this, some people can, like, some parents can never be forgiven. Yeah. Period. Some parents do unforgivable things to their children, and that is just the way life is sometimes. Yeah. Which, I would, like, must be nice having that <laughs> the capacity to not understand that. Yeah. But, um, Craig is just kind of like, you know what, fuck it, I'll just tear up this check, like, I don't give a shit. And Ashley's like, well, why don't you have fun with the money? Like, why, why shred it when you can just buy fun shit with it? A little part of Frank's brain is just like, hey, Ashley, remember when you used to care about causes? Oof, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a very... I get why she suggests it. It makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, listen, any... How old are these kids? 16? Uh, yeah, they're, they're in 11, 11th grade. 16. So, was, like, set going on yeah. 17, maybe. Well, this was yeah. um, Craig's 16th birthday. Yeah. Yeah. Like, eh, a cause is a cause, but... When you're 16, given 10k, like where the fuck would you go? Where would your 16 year old self have gone if you got 10k? Right. Oh, uh, out west. <laughs> 10k, I would spend it all on concerts. 10k, I would tell my parents, hey, you know what? Things ain't working out here. Uh, you know, school and friend wise, I'm gonna start out somewhere else. <laughs> start up somewhere else. I'll call every weekend. <laughs> I think 
I would have just bought like a micro home. I would have bought a 3D printed house and just jacked <laughs> off. <laughs> at, that, at that time you're just like I don't know what a, a tiny house is but fuck it I'm gonna find one right yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah pioneer this entire in tiny houses people are gonna Instagram about me do we know what Instagram is yet I'm not sure but that's it <laughs> yeah no I would have just bought it on concert tickets 16 year old Donnie would have bought out concert tickets 14 year old uh-huh. Donnie would have bought a yeah you would I would have bought a lot of anime merch if it was, like, two or three years prior. No, I would have bought a lot of animation cells from anime. That's what I would have spent on. Truth be told, 16-year-old Frank would um, probably have lived his dream of having both a Super Nintendo and a Sega Genesis in the same house. Nice. Because I... Damn. When I was a kid, I didn't think that was possible. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I knew, like, I knew rich kids, and I knew, like... And even they only had the one or the other. I was just like, is it possible to have two in one house? <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Craig and Ashley try to do their shopping spree at a music store. And Craig cracks me up because he just takes, like, arms full of guitar it's strings. Full, yeah. It's like, it's just like, yes. And Ashley's like, you'll never need... A string, like, these are, like, more strings than you'll ever need in a year. And he's like, yeah, okay. She says that's more strings. Like, Jack White doesn't even go through that many strings. Yeah, she does. There's a lot of references in this episode that really confirm to you that this came out in 2004. <laughs> is it, like, we didn't have... Is this, I think, the first time we've actually had a fair amount of real-world references. Yeah, like, there's been one or two, but, like, for the most part... Even though, like, obviously fashion is an indicator and things like that, the actual, like, references to pop culture in the time period have been pretty low. And in this episode, I can name, like, four separate occasions somebody gets, like, name-checked. None of this Kid Elric bullshit. Yeah, yeah, it's not, like, about Kid Elric, it's about Lindsay Lohan. And Paris Hilton. Yeah, like, it's... Yeah. Interesting. The Paris Hilton moment, Lindsay Lohan and uh, Hilary Duff. Yeah, these different things. The like, holy trinity. Mandy Moore. <laughs> oh, Mandy Moore. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's fucked. Where did she go? Yeah. Well, that was. Oh. There's some dark reasons for where she went, but. Her husband Ryan Adams, surprising no one, turned out to be a scumbag. Her ex-husband. She ex-husband. got out. She got the fuck out. Thank God. Um, before we get too sad about that. Um, Craig and Ashley are going on a shopping spree, and Ashley sees a Stratocaster, um, and the salesperson Wait. materializes with a distiller shirt. Wait, before that, we need to talk about the utterly awkward moment where Ashley's like, ooh, look at this Wawa, like an original Oh, Wawa. yeah, yeah, look at this Wawa. Oh, I have it, I have it. He's like, uh, she goes, um, how about this legendary crybaby Wawa? And Craig goes, I thought I already made you cry enough last year. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> fucking shut me off so bad. <laughs> Don't you just know so many high school boys that are like, oh, I always make you upset. <laughs> and just leave that in the air for you to deal with. And I'm like, what am I meant to do? You threw me this ball. What the fuck am I meant to do with it now? <laughs> like, like, I was ready to look past that, but now you're making me reflect on this. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Like, what's happening? But it, it's just, it's very much just like, Craig's like, oh, we're able to laugh about this now, right? 
Right? No. <laughs> oh my god. But um anyway, so so uh Ashley and the salesperson kind of exchanged some stats about it. I could not stop looking at this guy's distiller shirt. That's <laughs> all I could think about. I was just like, man, what a time. I'm super mad that I didn't even pick up on that at all. Like, as soon, I, I think it was Ashley said, oh, is it a 69? I was like, <laughs> yeah, that, I, I figured that. I was watching, I was like, and this is where Nikki's brain shuts off. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. Okay. I, like, I like to do exactly what I'm expected to do. <laughs> I, um... <laughs> For me, it was just like, is this a 62? He's like, no, it's a 69. I heard in my head all three McElroy brothers go, nice. Yes. Nice. Yeah. I hope the writers were all high-fiving. They're like, let's make it a 69. <laughs> the kids will scream. <laughs> but uh, the employee is like, yeah, you know, this thing's really expensive. Like, stop touching it. Um, and then Craig's like, well, how much? And the guy's like, 4000 4, over $4,000. And Craig's like, well, I'll take it. Like, well then, I have the money. Um, and as he's, like, saying, like, I'll buy it, he reaffirms his reasoning for buying it by saying, my dad would hate it. And ain't that a fucking mood? Fuck yeah, I love that kind of vanity. Brings me such joy. When I buy something my dad would hate. <laughs> this is like, a, this episode is a very good depiction of survivors behaving badly, if that makes sense. Like, I like that. You're so right. It's it, not afraid to go into like a messy area. It's not afraid to be like, these characters are hurt and they are doing things in a way that may not be the, the right thing, quote unquote, right thing to do, but there's a reason why they're doing it. And, you know. They're just letting, you know, they're making sense of their trauma and trying to kind of get back at it. And this is how they're doing it. It, it reminded me of um, my favorite Citizen Kane line. Well, That's a reference on a Degrassi podcast. Sorry. It's Jesus. Just, um, it's like, what would you, somebody asks this, uh, Kane's foster father, asking, like, what would you like to have been? And he just looks at him and just says, everything you hate. It's the same fucking yeah. energy, just with a 69 nice Stratocaster. <laughs> and so it just turns into an awful warmonger. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is the last scene we've seen for the first episode. In the second episode, this plot picks up at Joey's apartment. Craig and Ashley are walking in, and she's just like, I made him buy a guitar. And Joey's just like, oh, fuck yeah, this looks fucking sweet. And, like, they're talking about it and its historical significance as, like, uh, in terms of, like, other musicians who had Stratocasters from this time period, et cetera, et cetera. And Joey's like, oh, man, this must have cost you a pretty penny, like $400. And Craig is just like, it was 4000 And Joey is visibly upset at the news of how much this cost. Yeah. I was expecting him to actually go off worse than that, to be perfectly honest. Like, he let the kid keep the guitar, for one thing. Yeah. Um, if, I, if I was a parent and my 16-year-old came home with a $4,000 guitar, I'd be like, well, that's a cry and shame. <laughs> you are going to have to take that back. <laughs> right? Well, I was surprised at how... I mean, I understand this is just for the sake of the plot, so I'm not going to, like, overanalyze it because I get that this was a point of conflict. And I could see this as just Joey being inept at working with, with a teenager. But, like, I know for a fact that, like, 
my family would have put that in a bank account I didn't have access to. Like, I had a savings account that I only got access to, like, halfway through college that basically was just, like, where all of my graduation money went, all of, like, my Catholic milestone money went, because I'm (laughs) Italian-American, as you know. Every time... Every time a relative sent me, like, you know, the birthday, Easter, whatever money in the mail. You wouldn't get it? Nope. Yep. (laughs) It went into a CD. My favorite one was one time my mom made me write thank you notes. Yep. Oh, me too. I always had to. (laughs) Um, For every one of them. And at one point, she was just like, here, don't forget to write your Uncle T. Frank a, a thank you note. And I was like, I didn't get anything from Uncle T. Frank. My mom's like, yeah, you did. You got that card and, like, a check for t- some money. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I never got... She's like, here, let me get the card. She got hand me the card. And I looked at it like, I've never seen this card before in my life. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> so what had happened was it, was a sa- it came on a Saturday. My dad was home. He got the mail, saw the card was for me, opened it up, took the cash out, <laughs> and gave it to my mom. This is the most Italian-American, like, experience I've ever heard of. He once, also, we had, like, we had a fireplace, like a potbelly stove, or what do you call them? He yeah. once burned my homework in it. <laughs> Accidentally. Holy shit. My mom had to write it out, like, Franklin did his homework, but... Unfortunately. <laughs> my husband yeah. burned it in the stove. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh. No, I was gonna say the only money that was safe was uh, dirty grandma money because if she she knew if she put that shit in the card it wasn't gonna get to you your boy, but if if she like called me over and was like here I won't live much longer take this fifty dollar note <laughs> and then I would get to keep it. Yeah, it feels I feel like that also happened with me where like my grandmother would like over like she would go over my parents' head and do the same thing like hey and like stuff a dollar like stuff a, like a twenty dollar bill in my hand and just be like go. Oh my god, that's how I got. Yeah, no, it's crazy. That's how I got baptized. Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> my grandmother baptized me in a back in their backyard. Stop! Really. My dad didn't see the point of it. You were baptized? Were you baptized in a kiddie pool? I think it was just kind of, like, I was baptized as a baby, and my, like, my grandmother was a nurse. Was it baptism or dedication? Baptism. Because, like, my grandmother was a nurse in, like, what, the 40s? Yeah. And, you know, there was the belief that all babies had to be baptized, so in case they passed of something, they wouldn't get into heaven. Yeah. My dad thought this was stupid (laughs) and refused to get me baptized. So one day my parents left me with my grandmother so they could go do something else. (gasps) And my grandmother just kind of took her, like, washing tub, took me in the backyard. She pushed you into the Catholic Church. No, Presbyterian. I forgot that you're not, you're not, you don't have the, the, the double whammy of being Italian and Catholic. No, we're, I won't. My church going stopped when I realized I can get more video game time in if I stop going to church. Oh, lucky yeah. you! Yeah, did you know? Did you know some kids get two days of weekend? That's insane. I never heard, <laughs> never knew that in my life. Well, then that all Literally. ended. That ended when I turned Craig's age and my dad, or younger than Craig's age, and my dad's just like, "You're getting a job. There's no more money coming from me." Yeah, you're. Yeah, uh, you're I been- actually have a note. I have a note here. Like, I'm not a big sixteen-year-old paying rent. Wait, am I weird to be a 16-year-old that was paying rent? Like, 
<laughs> I don't get it. I, I mean, let's talk, we could talk more about this scene and then we can kind of fully unpack what totally. is being talked about here. Because we go to the garage, Ashley has left, and Craig is kind of playing around with the guitar. Um, and Craig is just like, he's, you know, he's still learning the guitar. It, it doesn't sound that great. I do appreciate with this actor that he definitely plays guitar. Like, I really appreciate that, yeah. like, his actor is a musician. And, like, it, it just makes it, because it's like, obviously you can always cut away and have somebody else play it and things like that. But it's really nice to see him, like, looking at Joey and talking to Joey and legitimately playing the guitar while he's trying to yeah, do it. Yeah, just noodling around, yeah. It, it just gives a layer to Craig. And, it, I mean, this is why this actor gets a lot of accolades for his run on Degrassi. And he actually went on to having a decent theater career as well. And I feel like it's moments like this that were what made him able to kind of be so critically acclaimed. It's these little moments that he does. Um, and Joey is trying to talk to him, and he's, like, trying to get Craig's attention. Craig's just kind of, like, barreling through, still playing. He has to say Craig's name several times during it. And eventually Joey's like, hey, you know, I was kind of hoping that you could put some of your money toward, like, like a little bit of, like, a rent. Can you, like, you know, help me out with the mortgage? Yeah. Which is a rough conversation to have. With somebody you're taking care of, right? Like, yeah. regard, like, you know, it's just like, you know, one of those things where it's like, I have taken, I have a responsibility to take care of you, but I need you to help take care of us. I mean, we've, that we have seen this thread before where Craig hasn't always been pulling his weight. Yes, it's true. Um, but like, this, the money aspect makes this so much more awkward. Yeah, like, I totally get. Like, it's, it's such a hard conversation to have because, like, you know other kids have had this happen to them before or, like, you know, the expectation to have some form of a rent or some sort of a payment back into the family system or sometimes being one of the only providers in the family. But in this case, it's such, like, a hard thing that you can tell Joey has avoided making him do too much. And even though he's had issues with Craig pulling his weight in the house, ultimately, we haven't seen a scene where, like, you know, he... It's not like Craig turned 16 and Joey kind of like went, well, got time to put on your big boy pants, time to work. You can tell that this was kind of like a last resort for Joey. Yeah. Which is rough. Um, like, like I said before, like I, I think I was saying before, my dad was just like, no, you're 16, no more allowance. Yeah, I mean. You get that job. But even then, like an allowance... Like, I understand, like, like that, that's one thing, right? Like, I had a sim, I didn't have an explicit conversation happen, but, like, I was like, I don't want to be dependent on my parents, so I got, like, a job as soon as I could, and, like, you know, that was, like, my spending money, but it's so different when it's, like, there's a difference between being, like, hey, you're old enough to get a job, so, like, you should get a job so you can go to the mall, and you should get a job because we need you to make, make money, because if we don't, we're gonna lose the house. Yeah. The weight is very yeah, different. I that's, that's kind of what my experience was, so I guess I have a really different was Like, when I was 14, when you're 14 and nine months, you can get a job, and you can all stay in Australia. Or, okay. Um, go on, um, I don't know what you would call it, but, like, social benefits scheme. Okay. Where you get a small amount of money kind of thing. Um, and the... the 
the day that it clocked around, um, I was on there, I was filling out those forms, and because I was earning money, I was, and cause they needed it, and that's just what it was. My mother was has always been the only, um, so as soon as I could make myself profitable, I did. Yeah. It wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't a big deal for me, like, definitely, like, I, I my perception of the scene was very much like, damn, like, pull your weight, bruh, like, obviously... <laughs> things aren't going well in the house you i mean you should if you get a fucking tricked out garage for one thing right you better be paying rent for that bad boy that that little garage of his it's so nice yeah so to me it was just it was that was sensible yeah i agree i don't think it's 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 hard i do understand the emotional component that craig has i do think that joey could have approached it in a way that was better but overall, the concept of, like, hey, you're 16, get a job, is not ridiculous. It's not a ridiculous request. Also, like, I feel like whenever, I would just feel like, like, I don't know, I feel like I wanted to have a job because I could get out of the house. Maybe this is just an abuse survivor speaking, but I was like, I don't want to be at home. Yeah. Fuck that. I want to work. Yeah, also that, yeah, I wanted, I wanted my own money on top of that so that I could buy my own my. I ended up basically having a separate schedule from when I was 16 to when I moved out at 18 because I would buy my own groceries and dinner and dinner would be at a different time to my parents and it's like we were basically just housemates at that point and that was great. Yeah. Um, While mine didn't, all my money making didn't come with the, um, you know, thing of like we need your help keeping the house. Um... My, the the guilt that was thrown on me was my dad constantly be like, okay, well, I'm going to teach you this thing because I'm not going to be around all, all the time. Oh, God. And I was just like, I'm happy to learn the lesson. I'm not happy to hear about your eventual death. I'm like, I don't want to <laughs> think about your mortality, thanks. It's like, I'm willing to help you... Like, I'm ha- willing to help you chop wood. Just like... Do we have to frame it as like, I'm going to die? <laughs> Do we need to? <laughs> Um, meanwhile, with Joey, he's just like, hey, can you put some of that money that you, that you made toward the mortgage? Craig brings up like, hey, doesn't my dad's estate give you money? And Joey reveals it's only $250 per month. Which doesn't even keep you in pizza. (laughs) Yeah, which I do think that there's a point. There is a point to be made there. Because like with Joey, I feel like there is this, this gap in his understanding. Because with him, he was mentally prepared before Craig came along. To be raising Angie, right? Yeah. Angie, who is still small, who will eventually become a teenager, but he will be able to, in theory, like watch her grow and transition through the various milestones and kind of be able to roll with it. Working with a teenager with no context, not able to see that kid grow into a teenager, is, unless you're a fucking high school teacher or somebody trained to work with teenagers, is a jarring experience. And, like, I feel like kind of. Part, like, part of the thing with raising a child from, like, a baby to a teenager is you're going to get kind of what you put into it, essentially, where it's just, like, Angie is going to grow up with the values that Joey instilled with her from the beginning. Craig is coming with just all his own values and all his own needs and wants and whatnot. And that's, like, it's just, like, he knows that history. He knows the Angie yeah. history. He does not know the Craig history. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of curveballs involved with working with a kid that 
right out of it, like, you know, has just not been under your house. Like, you have not seen this kid grow up. Take out the trauma. You still got a kid. You, you do not know his experiences, and you do not have, like, you know, he's been with him for a year at this point. He's not going to know everything about him or how he's going to react. And just from a monetary perspective, like, he notes, like, how much pizza he eats and how many shoes he goes through. And, um, you know, he he's just kind of, like, how he also, like, put the time into making a garage for him. Like, the garage really nice for him. Like, these are all expenses that... The garage is heated. Yeah. Like, these are the... T uh, I take back some of my snide remarks about that garage now that I know that it's heated. Um, <laughs> but, like, it's it's just, like, all of these unexpected expenses that just Joey was not prepared for. And even, like, you know, $250 is nothing taking care of a child. Like, $250 is, like, a weekend with a child. It's, yeah. yeah. The times I don't go shopping at 6 a.m. and I see, like, parents out with their shopping carts... And, um, like, how packed to the gills those are, and mine barely, with the food in mine barely covers the floor of the shopping cart. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, how do you go through that much food? That's, like, a year's worth of food for me. But they do. And, like, it's a lot. Kids are a lot of money. Teenagers are an obscene amount of money. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I just want to quick interject. Um, about two weekends ago, Donnie and I, and Gwen and a bunch of our other friends were at Anime Next, and they got to hear me say the most old man line of any old man line. Yes. <laughs> Where I said, I go shopping at 6 a.m. Because if I go shopping later, all the good yogurts are taken. Yeah, you start complaining. <laughs> it was so specific. Oh, <laughs> it was so dark. Oh, you're right, though. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're so right. No, you're so right. I, I am... I one thing, and that is yogurt with high-fiber bran and some fruit, because I am an 87-year-old man. Correct. Um, so I absolutely understand um, and feel your pain, and I respect you. <laughs> you're so right. I would rather die than get up at 6 a.m. <laughs> I go something late, late at night. Yeah, I, um, I, I usually go to the gym, then uh, go to the, like, the shop right that's near my house that opens at 6 a.m. God... But, um, fuck. Anyway, Craig hears all of this information, and he asks, like, hey, like, would you have this conversation with Angie? And, and of course, Joey fumbles this badly, because he's like, well, no, because she's seven. <laughs> Understandable. He's like, well, she eats like a bird, and she's a child, also. He's like, Joey... You just, you just lost him. Congratulations. Like, the bridge just, like, went up in flames in the process. I, like, we're, we're saying these things in jest, but, like, I feel bad for Joey, like, pretty hard in this scene. Oh, I do, too. Especially when you know later on in the scenes how, like, dire the situation is. Yeah. And you can tell that this is a moment where, like, the words came out and he wanted to shove them back in his mouth. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like cursing in front of, like, a pack of kids accidentally. You're just like, no. You, you weren't supposed to be here. Yeah, like, <laughs> no, you were not supposed to know that. So then Craig heads over to Sean's house. Yep. I Actually, I really love this shot because Sean is coming to the door holding his portable phone. 
God. And right. then, like, he opens the door and Craig's just there holding his own phone. Yeah, it's very, like, of the time. And the phones are so clunky looking, too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and it's done over a montage with the A plot, which I thought was very well done oh, as yeah. well. Like, Degrassi, like, what happened? You just suddenly upscaled so much. I'm telling you, they suddenly learned what cinematography is. There's, like, multiple locations, there's multiple characters. Right? Like, once again, I am very impressed. I... I was very pleased by the technical aspects of this episode, which I feel like I never feel toward this series sometimes. So, like, I was very, very happy. But anyway, so Craig yeah. Craig crashes at Sean's. Yeah. And the next scene that we see is um, Snake in Snake's computer lab, um, and he's just making a snide remark to Craig about fries and gravy and how that's not good for keyboards. Even if the food is tasty. I really like disco fries now. Right. The uh, Jersey poutine. Right, Jersey poutine. <laughs> Everybody knows. Um, but anyway, so... What the fuck? Sorry, I'm on a transcript site, and it went from Degrassi to Friends, and I was really disoriented because I saw the one oh, with wow. the cat, and I was like, this is definitely not Degrassi anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> God damn it. Anyway, so Snake is kind of like, you know, hey, like, get your fucking disco fries out of the comp lab. Um, and then he's like, oh, Joey called me, like, twice. Like, what the hell? And Craig, and he's like, you know, your dad's really upset. And Craig's like, I don't have a fucking dad. And, oh, and also during the montage, there were shots of, of Joey, like, looking for Craig. Yes. And calling and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and... Snake is just honestly though, yeah. If 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 a teacher, well, like I assume they have some kind of other relationship. Like you know, obviously their dad, the dad's a friend outside of it. But at the end of the day, Snake is just the teacher at the school, right? Like, oh, I mean, their like connection. Or Joey and Snake are friends from high school, so there is a pretty deep connection. Snake has crashed at. Joey's place while Craig is there and stuff like that. So, like, there is a... I, yeah, fair enough. But I do think that, at least the way that facially Snake reacts in this whole entire scene, you can tell he's kind of in over his head. Like, yeah. he doesn't know yeah. the full context. It's very obvious he doesn't know the full context, and when he realizes it, he just kind of, like, gives, like, panicked looks, even though he's trying to plow through the conversation. Yeah, yeah no, if he... If he said something like that to me, I know where my 16-year-old self would have been like, what the fuck is it to you? Like, that is none of your business, my friend. Exactly. Um, which is honestly still how I'd probably react today. Like, that's, there is no need to introduce a player three into this game. Um, let's <laughs> walk it out. Um, it's also just like, I don't know, it's just kind of one of those things where it is quite quite, I don't even know what the word is, but, like, there's something very bold to, like, confront a teenager in a public space, like, when you don't know all the information, because a teenager will humiliate yes. you. They yes. don't give a shit. Well, it's, um, I think it's also, but, I mean, I think Snake's just like, here's my chance, like, I don't, like, what am I gonna do, show up, like, at his locker? Well, also, like, what... Snake says to him is just kind of like him acting emotionally and not how you should really talk to a teenager because his retort to Craig 
Because Craig's really upset. He's like, yeah, well, Joey shouldn't fucking treat me like the bank of Craig. And Snake's response is, Joey stepped up when no one else was going to. That takes a lot, a lot of guts, and a lot of commitment. What you owe him is a little more respect than you're showing him right now. And it's like, I understand you want to just, like, tell the kid, like, you know, wake the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Kids don't respond to that, especially kids like Craig. Like, it should be pretty obvious. This is a kid who does not fucking, like, he doesn't do wake-up calls like that very well. He needs to come to it on his own. And interfering like that is just going to make him resentful of you. It's going to put his ire up, and he's just going to dig his heels in harder. Exactly. Like, it's like one of those things where, like, Snake is, like, trying to, like, have the upper hand in the conversation, but it's so obvious he does not know what the fuck to do. Yeah. It's, no, I found that really unnecessary. Like, and he's pretty much just repeating the same advice that I feel like is inherent to the whole things that Craig knows. Mm -hmm. He's just being antagonized by a second adult. Exactly. Like, and not for nothing, a second male adult. Like, when you've yeah. been abused by a male authority figure, a male parental figure, and then, like, you as another, like, male authority figure are gonna try and, like, strong arm the kid, like, that's also a really not great idea. Yeah. But, anyway, Snake's in over his head, and then... The next scene we have with this plot is at Joey's apartment. Joey's looking out the window, um, and Craig enters, and he's like, I'm just getting my guitar, and I'm fucking getting, you know, my clothes, and I'm leaving. And he also makes a point to be like, I'm not eating your food. Like, he's making it very clear, like, he is not going to accrue any, like, costs during his visit. And Joey is like, hey, look, like, I might lose my business. Like, and, and Craig... I really like how, and I think this is just, I love this actor in so many ways. This actor's reaction to it is just like he sits down. Yeah. Like he's trying to process what is happening, like at the steps. Like, you know, not in like a comfortable spot. Like he just kind of plops. And I really like that little thing. I feel like this actor really does like little details very well. And it makes Craig like a fully realized creation. Like I feel like with Craig, I like him a lot. But I think a lot of it is because he is such a well-defined character. It's not necessarily his actions that I like about him, but the fact that he is a fully realized character, both in the way that the actor plays him and the way that he's written. Yeah. But he... And, like, Joey's like, look, like... I, you know... He's like, you know, I'm trying to be a dad. He says, like, really good line. He says, I'm trying to be the dad here, and instead, like an idiot, I hit you up for cash. Um, and Craig is just kind of noting the rent thing, and he's just like, look, like, my line of credit is shot. My bills are huge. And Craig is like, okay, fine. Then, like, I'll give you the money. I'll return the guitar. Like, that will be fucking fine, right? And Joey's like, no, I can't do that. And... Joey says something that he's just like, you know, I know you want to be a big rock star. I know that's what your dream is, but I want you to have this place as a backup plan. He's like, I got to fucking figure this out, basically. Yeah. And I do like that Craig says, like, before all that, like, you have to let me do something. Yeah. Although, what's very interesting is I'm looking at the transcript, and I think this is a deleted scene, because there is one more scene after this that I think makes this scene make more sense. Um, 
And the exchanges, do you want to wanna read it with me, Frank? Sure. Okay. So <laughs> we, we got enough of those. Oh, by the way, Nikki, thank you for the reenactments. Yes. Thank you again. <laughs> no, that was so much fun. As soon as I opened it up, I was like, oh, my God, it's 2004, and I'm ready to fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but let's do it, because this is a deleted scene. Um, we really want to explore deleted scenes, so we'll watch this in action probably a little while later. But we will reenact this scene, because I think it does make this plot make more sense. Um, I'll be Craig and the customer. You can be Joey. Yes. Okay. <laughs> now, this is a gorgeous car. You really should take it for a test drive. Oh, I don't think so. Oh, what could it hurt? <laughs> Cute car! You would look great in it! I'll go get my bag. You are a bargain at three times the salary. Hey! Three times free is still free! <laughs> and that's how it ends. And I think, End scene. Yeah, and I think <laughs> that makes the last scene make more sense because it's like Joey's in this dilemma of he's like, I don't want to ask this child for cash, but also I need it. And I like the, I, like, I feel like this is a better, like, you can kind of, there feels like more of a resolution in this scene. It's like, it's not perfect, but Craig's going to try and help him. And this is Craig's way of kind of collaborating with him and trying to find a way to save this business. Yeah. And it's like... Yeah, Craig, I see that. Craig yeah. still has a weird... Uh, I mean, I think it's just his charisma and, honestly, a bit of his good looks that he's able to be like, I want to try this car. <laughs> right? Like, it it works. I, I like that it's a scene that is in it. I think it would have made more sense, but from my understanding, the U.S. run, which is what the YouTube version of it is, so if, for those folks at home or guests, the link we give is the official Degrassi channel which is the U.S. runtime. So there are a lot of scenes that were shown in Canada for various episodes that just the U.S. audience never really saw unless they were, like, you know, on forums. Interesting. Yeah, and, like, they're not on the official, like, there's no... You have to just kind of, like, look for them on YouTube or, like, look for them on DVDs and things. Like, they're not impossible to find, but it is very interesting because, like, it's not like they're tethered to a runtime, and I don't know if it's, like, how copyright works or anything like that, but for whatever reason, the Degrassi official channel is the U.S., like, the end run of the episodes. So. Okay. But, yeah, so anyway, I like this B-plot. I thought it handled some pretty heavy stuff, but in a way, like, was not super dirgy. Yeah. It was serious enough that it felt like it worked with the A-plot, but it still, like, was lighthearted enough that you weren't, like, going through different types of anxiety attacks during the whole entire episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I liked it. I mean, as I said, I really like Craig, so... And, yeah, I do like that deleted scene. I think that, as you say, it's probably the best resolution it could possibly come to, because he is a very charismatic boy. He so is. He probably do well at a car dealership. <laughs> So, no, that's, I, I liked that. Me too. That's good. Shall we go to the A-plot? Yeah. All right. So this is where pretty much all of the content warnings kick in. Um, so once again, as always, if you need to take a break or anything like that, do not hesitate to do so because this plot is, I really appreciate this plot, but man, it is heavy. Yeah. It deals with a lot of ugly emotions and ugly things in the legal system, which are frustrating. And just the worst of 
toxic masculinity. Truly. Um, so we open up in Joey's lot, oddly enough, and Paige, Spinner, and Craig are kind of walk are kind of looking at Spinner's new car. Paige is trying to christen the car by dumping some bottled water in front of it. <laughs> it's very cute. It is very cute. And they're like debating names for the car. Craig does not give a shit. He's like, it looks like a sparky. What about Herbie? I don't fucking know. And Spinner naturally is like, oh, let's call it the Love Mobile. God damn it. God. He's fucking brat. He. <laughs> and it's like the shittiest, like, Commodore ass fucking base okay. I've ever seen. It's so high school. It's unbelievable. I, 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 it's a very high school car. It's I, true. I had to object to him being called a brat because he earned that car. He did. He does say. Uh, no, he did. He's he's brat in the same way that Craig is is chaotic by Boston. He's just he's just. He's just government assigned bit of a bit of a blat, you know? I agree. <laughs> I understand no, wait, this completely. I, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> um I, see I had for the two cars that are my own, uh the first one was the Betacar Galactica. Nice. The other one was the Betacar Pegasus. I named my car, which I still have, oh, God nice. bless her. She is very, very, very old at this point. She's a 2003 Mercury Sable, and I named her in si- at 16 years old Eleanor Roosevelt. Which... Oh, that's so cute. I'm it's very, very appropriate. I like. I still call her Eleanor at this point. I'm like, yeah, okay, Eleanor. Well, she's parked over there. It's just like, <laughs> see, I only ever base car names off of number plates, and I take this with a grain of salt because I do not drive. I'm your gay friend that needs to be taken places um but you know it has to be based on a non plate otherwise it's just bother naming the car you know it's true fair enough i once gave my ex-girlfriend driving lessons oh that sounds disastrous <laughs> it was Oof. i've been dating gwen for nine years and i've still not learned how to drive stick i don't know how to drive stick <laughs> gwen only drives stick it's bizarre gwen loves it but um Anyway, Spinner is, you know, Joey's like, you don't own this car yet. And Spinner's like, well, here you go. $2,700. In cash. Yeah. Well, to be fair, he waits tables. He probably has a shit ton of cash. He definitely just shoves that in a jar and, like... Get a checking account, Spinner. No. Um, (laughs) Joey's like, I only accept cash. (laughs) Joey hands Spinner the keys, and then he and Paige kind of do, like, this really, like, pathetic little montage driving on highways and shit, which, to be fair, as a teenager, it's a big deal. As an adult, I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, like, the thing is, like, it's not like they're cheering or anything. Or, no, like, no, page one's is, like, singing along to the song. They're, they're just stone-faced sitting in this car, <laughs> and it appears to be filmed from, like, a car parked on a corner. <laughs> And you know there was a walkie-talkie between Paige and Spinner, and she's like, I, I missed the shot, you gotta go around again. <laughs> there was a truck walkie, you gotta go around again. Not, it was not a sexy um, highway. Like, it, this, it, was, it looked like the highway from the opening montage of, like, fucking, I don't know, King of Queens or something. <laughs> like, oh, you know, the rise and grind. The <laughs> same soup just reheated. I'm like, damn, this is fucking bleak. This, this reminded me a lot of New Jersey, honestly. Yeah, it was very, like, if you live in one of those, like, 
built up suburbs that are cut with highways. Like, that's what it came off like. Yeah. It came off like uh, a lot of the area that I'm from, like that North Jersey, like 20 minutes out of New York City vibe. Which makes sense because it's just outside of Toronto. Yeah, I'm I'm from Central, so it's just nothing but highways and beach. Yeah, that's true too. And it's just like three yeah, three a.m. and the song 1979 by the Smashing Pumpkins is New Jersey. Oof, that's a that's a statement. Um, anyway, Spinner <laughs> Spinner parks the car. He's like, it was a wicked, wicked, wicked day. <laughs> like, oh, are we from Boston now? Okay. <laughs> We're gonna get some clam chowder. Like, okay. They're buddy. all gonna die in the harbor. Like, okay, buddy. Um, and and Spinner is like, all right, like, hey, now that I got a car, obviously we can do a drive-in. Like, let's do it. It's gonna be great. He says, load up the car with some blankets, some slow jams of love. <laughs> What's a slow jam of hate? <laughs> <laughs> My high school poetry. <laughs> just like it's Damn. like it's just like mm, yeah. I don't care for you that much. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, they like lean in to kiss, and like I just see a cop pulling up in the background. Um. And of course, Spinner like starts freaking out. Then Paige starts freaking out because they think that it's because Spinner was speeding, and a cop instead reveals that um he's looking for Paige. And that um, he passes her a letter, which is a notice to appear, because she pressed charges in a sexual assault case in 2002. So, like, really let that fucking sink in how fucking long it's been. On one hand, you know, like, kudos to Degrassi for picking up this thread and not just dropping it. It's just an unfortunate factor that, like, the years that it takes for these cases to go to court is fucking nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true to life. It is. Um, yeah, I I should probably also mention for reference, I am essentially a court stenographer, so I type all the court cases, um, and it's a great job for me because I'm a ghost, so I get to hear all of these cases that happen all the time, and yeah, it's very much how it plays out, like we're talking Would you I say cases start... Would you say two years is is that sm- like a pretty small amount, an average amount? That's, that's yeah, pretty small to average. I would say. I mean, obviously, it depends on the case. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some like obviously, Australian legal system has different parameters to the U.S. Like uh, this case would have gone proceeded more quickly, um, depending on because I mean she was a China. She she mentioned she was fifteen when it happened, and the guy is currently in college. I don't know what year he said he was. You know, I, I think he, he's he like was, a first year-ish. So he's like probably like right, 18. Okay. Yeah, because definitely, I mean, cases where there's a child victim and an adult defendant, obviously they get tend to get prioritized more quickly. But I would say two years is pretty average. In my experience, that's what it's been. Um, for listeners who don't know, I volunteer on a sexual assault hotline. Legal accompaniments are a component as well as just, you know, providing resources about what the law is in New Jersey. Um, so there are differences between locations, but I, I would also say that, like, two-ish years is fairly normal. It sucks. 
yeah, it's the worst. So, you know, we have her, you know, trying to deal with this. The theme song kicks in. Um, and then the next scene, we are in a movie. We're in the drive-thru. And they're watching a movie. And, like, elements of it are, like, torture porn type horror. And then other elements are just, like, wacky. It's very grindhouse. Yeah, there's a lot happening. Yeah. And Paige is, like, shrieking. She's throwing popcorn. Um, and she, in the as she's, like, freaking out, she kind of snuggles up to Marco. And then, of course, you're watching it going, wait, where's Spinner? And Spinner just, like, kind of creeps his head, <laughs> like, from behind the seat. And he's just like, hey. <laughs> and also, um, Jimmy and Hazel are just... Making the fuck out. <laughs> Good for them. Right? Yeah, God bless. Fucking bold. Um, and we see that Paige is, like, really rattled by what is happening. Um, and she's like, oh, let's go get snacks. I gotta get snacks. Um, I'm hungry. Okay, bye. Um, and she, like, gets out of the car, and she turns toward the screen, and she, like, sees a decapitation happen on... It's obviously, like... I don't want to say obviously, because I, I feel like that would invalidate how she feels about this, but, like, you know, it's kind of, like, those very, like, over-the-top... It's, like, a very campy-looking type of movie. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Just, just for reference, listeners, there's a woman in a luchador mask and, like, BD Sam gear of a whip. Yes, I love her. <laughs> White City. <laughs> um, but you could tell that she's, like, really not... This is not the right movie to see when you've just been told that you're going to appear in court for a sexual assault case. Um... And she's just like, okay, I'm going to go get food. I, she says, like, this really, like, of the timeline where she says she's as hungry as Paris Sutton looks. Which a big ol' of. To be fair, like, every fucking show I feel like made that joke during the time period. Degrassi is not innocent. Jesus. No, definitely. Yeah, no, I do feel it. The t- 2000s were definitely a time where, I mean, it's true, every celebrity was very very underweight i was thinking about that today like damn if nothing else at least there's a bit of meat on some people's bones today or one in ten well i think like also like it was that syndrome of the hip hugger trend i feel like like mm. so many yes so many people the like rider. yeah like the low riders like then glorified the exposed hip bones the jutting hip mm-hmm. bones and it just was this awful cycle that that happened and there was a lot of fucked up shit happening relating to weight in those circles, unfortunately. Yeah. Very much so. But, um, Paige is just like, I need food. She pulls Marco out of the car, um, and Marco and her just kind of talk a little bit about the movie before, and Spinner is clearly upset that, you know, Marco is kind of caught up in this. He can't even sit next to Paige. Um, and he just kind of, like, walks away from the scene, frustrated. So. And then we see my wife, the luchador mask-wearing BDSM whip woman. I don't know her, but I love her. Me too. Um, so, the next scene we have, we are watching Dylan and Marco have a really cute exchange as they're trying to move a chest out of a van. It's, It's so cute. Um, because Dylan is moving to college. Congratulations! 
cats! Did they? Did he bring a hope chest? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like that was my takeaway. It's just like, all right, got my my usual thing: my hockey poster, got my hockey stick, got my hope chest. <laughs> you know, it's like where's all like the the translucent like gallon tubs with like the the like green tops and the blue, like the turquoise blue and the pink. Like I was like, what's going on here? Like at least that's still how I move house. Right. Same. At least it's still, at least thankfully he doesn't have the, like, the three posters that everybody has in their dorm room. Or, excuse me, not everybody, like, asshole straight white guys do. <laughs> Which are, please. It's a Pulp Fiction poster, right? That's one of them. Nope. Scarfa no. Scarface. Yes. Um, Boondock Saints. Yeah, okay, sorry. I, I went with Pulp Fiction. Um, Same genre. And that one poster of, like... The two young women in bed kissing. See, I was going to go with that one, yes. But I was also going to go with the one with the four women, and they are naked, and they are sitting on, like, a bench, and all of their backs are painted with, like, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, and, like, various album covers. Oh, my God. Again. I've never seen that one. Really? No, I know, I know the exact one. Uh, okay. Yeah, I was... I, there's a very specific, like... A memory from my childhood of the aesthetic of I wish I could tell you what brand it was associated with it might have been like a skater thing but black and white sort of airbrush painting portraits of naked women on cars and there were skulls and they were on t-shirts and they were everything some of them had swears on them and yeah that, that's that's the Australian University dorm experience and things were everywhere yeah, it's just like, I just showed the poster to Frank. Frank did not recognize it, so. I've never seen that. I, I'm very Even surprised. Even I know that one. It's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, there are just, like, very specific ones that the poster selling, like, at colleges, like, really sell out of, and it's definitely those three that you made, <laughs> give or take a couple other ones. Ooh, uh, the Albert Einstein with him sticking his tongue out. Yes, that's another yeah. one. Bless. Yes, for sure. Um... So, <laughs> I keep thinking about this. Anyway, so Dylan and Marco are being really cute, and Paige is just like, hey, as she's, like, taking stuff out, she's like, hey, you fucking owe us, um, and... Sorry, before this, uh, Dylan kisses Marco, and Marco's all like, what was that for? And Dylan's just like, because you're so darn cute, and for helping me move. Yeah, um, and Paige is like, <laughs> Paige is really mad. And Dylan is just like, well, like, you know, for helping me, I am, like, your VIP pass to every dorm party this year. Which, by the way, like, I don't know how the fuck schools outside of the one that I went to operated, but, like, I was like, dorm. Like, that's where off-campus housing is for. Yeah. That's where all the fucking parties are. Not fucking <laughs> dorms. Not in university-sanctioned housing. You go to somebody's basement. You don't go upstairs, like, in the hit movie mall. <laughs> And you just fucking tear it up while some shitty hardcore band plays. Yeah, like, I was, like, sitting here, I'm like, dorm party? I'm like, no, 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 you go off campus yeah. to some house called, like, Catfish Manor or some shit. <laughs> and you fucking get, like, an X on your hand and a red Solo cup full of jungle juice. I'm like, that's, that's college. <laughs> um, my first 
basement hardcore show. We, my friend and I were both straight edge. We got there before anybody else showed up. And uh, the woman throwing the party was like, which one of you boys is going to tap this keg? And we both kind of looked at each other like, we're both straight edge. Oh. And she's like, we'll wait sure. for somebody else. Yeah, yeah. That's how it goes. And I got hit on by a 16-year-old, and it was weird. That's not great. I was 19. I'm glad that you identified that it was weird. She, like, slapped me on the buttocks. Oh, that's awful. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, so Paige is just kind of like, oh, okay. Um, and, you know, Paige notices that Spinner is looking really mopey as he's passing along some of the stuff for Dylan to move in with. And Paige is just like, hey, like, you know, why are you being so pouty about this? And Spinner points out, like, yeah, it's not like you want to party with me, though. You're always surrounded by people. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it has, like, this issue with Paige being so popular. Blah, blah, blah. But actually, Paige is just like, you know... <laughs> Paige is just like, you know, people are here because they have to be here. We're moving in Dylan shit. Like, that's why. Like, that's why Marco is here. And then Spinner is just kind of like, you make me feel like a leopard. Damn. Don't we all, at some point, feel like a leopard? <laughs> I mean, that's what Jesus did. He went among the leopards. <laughs> he kept their heads. And kissed their snoots. <laughs> I mean, like, in all fairness, I actually do... I had a little bit of sympathy for Spinner in the scene, because he obviously hasn't put it all together yet. And unfortunately, he doesn't for a couple scenes scenes to come, as far as I remember. Um, but he just, I I understand that, like, oh, it feels like you just don't want to be alone with me, kind of thing. Yeah, um, it's I, I do I get where he's coming from. The guy just he he doesn't have the context. He I know he knows what happened, but he hasn't he hasn't put put the two together. I don't think. Yeah, he's a very good example of somebody, and I think this happens to a lot of people. I don't think this is just Spinner. I think this is just a very human thing where it's like, you hear about a traumatic thing, you go, okay, yeah, okay, I acknowledge this traumatic thing. But I don't think they recognize how much that occupies so much of your life outside of yes. this traumatic moment. And, like, he he's just not at that level of understanding. And I don't blame him for it. I don't fault him for it because I think that it's hard even for adults who haven't experienced this or haven't worked extensively with survivors, et cetera, et cetera. Because it's, like, one of those things where you're, like, this is my, in this case, this is my partner. You know, like, I want to spend good times with this person. And then, like, they fail to recognize that going through a traumatic experience means that even if that person really wants to have good times with you, there are going to be some hang-ups during it. And it doesn't mean that you're the shit here. Like, no, it's just traumatic shit happened outside of you, and unfortunately that's going to impact how they interact with you. Yeah. And that's such a complicated thing. That's, that's, a, that's a concept that I think that even if you work with survivors, you're not great at sometimes. It's easy to get yeah, in your yeah, own head. Definitely. Like, Spinner is kind of the embodiment of somebody, like, being so wrapped up in his feelings that, you know, he just cannot quite put two and two together yet. Yeah, he's taking it more personally than it needs to be taken, um, while also being a 16-year-old boy who is anxious to get it on with his girlfriend, you know? I, I, I just don't think... It's not like he's pushing her to move past her trauma 
quicker than she wants to. It's just he doesn't realize that that factors into the equation, I don't think. I agree. I, I don't think Spinner is stupid. No. But I think he's a very simple... I think he's very a, he's a simple teenage boy. I think he's sheltered, I, much well, like Ashley is sheltered, in the sense that like they have not had to directly experience traumatic things, and because of it, they don't understand how trauma occupies a person's life. Yeah, but what I was getting, what I was getting at is just like he looks at things in very like simple terms. Yes. And like I fully agree with what you're saying. Like, and then he's forced to confront this very difficult situation. And he is just not equipped for this. Exactly. He's out of his depth. Like, he does his best, and, like, when he does his best, it's really good, but he doesn't always know exactly what to do. Yeah. And it's hard because with Paige, she, and I don't blame her for, for reacting this way at all. She's like, hey, like, it's fine. Like, once the trial is over, it'll be good. Mm. Like, and... Yeah. And that's obviously something that's based on advice, or I see it as something that's based on advice from counselor or you know even her own like they haven't said in those exact words you know oh it'll be fine once the trial is over but people saying you know you you will be able to have closure once the trial is over in her head to i'll be able to out and do all that i'll be completely fine in every way um whereas it's not how closure works and closure is not a it's not one moment no. It's also always such a hard thing that I don't think... I think one of the things that I wish this episode emphasized more is, like, how much... How, like, difficult it is to to look at a court case as, like, a moment of closure. Mm-hmm. Because sexual assault cases, as we see in this episode, very rarely see the survivor through it in a way that's positive. Yeah. It's, it's such a potentially like demoralizing moment for the survivor to to have to expose themselves to have to see their you know see the assailant to have to like you know disclose this information and legally Paige has probably told this story to authorities more times than she can probably count at this point mm-hmm. between police between <clears throat> detectives between lawyers between court yeah, Sauve, family counselor, it sounds like, things like that. Like, she has had to tell this story so much, and I understand her being, like, wanting emotionally to put all of this into it, but it's just, like, it's so fucking hard. Like, whenever, even, like, on my hotline, when we work with clients that are going through the legal system, so many people just drop out because it just yeah. is too much. I mean, it's terrible, yeah. I The other, and this is just an aside some people might find interesting uh, mm-hmm. is in Australia um, if you are a victim um, or a complainant in a sexual assault case or if you are underage and giving evidence in any case whatsoever um, you do so via pre-recorded evidence so you room uh. with a guidance counselor and sometimes a dog um, oh, nice! The, you have the dog system. Oh, it's the cutest thing. Yeah, the dog like puts its little baby head on its lap, on the kid's lap, and stuff. But you don't see that if you were in the jewelry kind of thing. You just see the screen. Yeah. Um, and then that child is beamed into the courtroom, and the court is the judge, the people that work in the court, and you know, defense and prosecution. 
and they ask their evidence, you know, their questions um, for examination, and then all of that is edited if needed um, and agreed upon, and then that recording is played when the jury is in and the court is open and the actual trial is proceeding, um, which I imagine is a much kinder way mm-hmm. to complainants. Um, like there is, there is no having to sit there in front of all of these people because that's something that Paige mentions is like, you know, I don't, I don't want you spinner to have to hear all of these details and hear all of it hashed out. And, you know, everyone's going to be there and looking at me like, I, I very much advocate for that kind of system where it takes away that at least that degree and makes them as comfortable as, as they possibly can. I agree. It's I know that there are some systems like that in, in courts mm. and like or at least like some attempts to like have the dog in court with the kid or with the survivor, et cetera, et cetera. It's just one of those things where the legal system is not has not like this episode is like fairly old at this point. It's over ten years old, but the court has not, the court system has not become much kinder to survivors yeah. of any trauma, any trauma really. But when it comes to sexual assault, in this episode, like you see how fucking rough it is, and I'm glad that that is happening. And I know that there are some things happening in certain like courts to support people, but fuck, it's it's just such a rough fucking system, and it's. It's so hard because you want to support somebody who is like, this is my decision. I want to be empowered to make this decision. You want to support them, but there's also like this thing where it's like you have to tell somebody like, look, like once it's in the law's hands, like we can't fucking, we can't control that narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, um, uh, so they says that to her. I remember how soon is now. Yeah. She she goes through it actually very apt in that episode about like kind of like the pros and cons of going through the legal system and how it it will fuck you over probably, and it's a sad fact but it's it's the truth. Yeah. But um, Dylan kind of like breaks up the conversation by saying that he needs somebody to like grab pizza. Paige says that she will, um, and as she's walking through the park. Uh, she sees this flashy yellow car and driving, and the owner of this flashy yellow car, who is Dean, um, and as soon as she sees Dean, she flashes back to, um, to the rape, back and shout, um, the way that they do these flashbacks is kind of interesting, they do, like, a first-person shot, and they set the lighting back to kind of what it was like Mm -hmm. in, when she was flashing back in shout. Where it kind of has, like, the kind of gauzy lighting to it. It's very, like, blue for, like, the color palette. Um, It's interesting that they kind of maintain that as kind of how she flashes back when this, to this incident, which is, there's just a lot of thoughtfulness, I feel like, that goes into this episode. Um, But she sees him and is... You know, she has this moment where she flashes back, and he is wearing, like, a pledge shirt for a frat. Yeah. So, fuck. Um, He's wearing the letters, which he should not be wearing if he's... That's true, he shouldn't be. Yeah. He should be, like, wearing a pin. That's just, like, a symbol. But that's too subtle. I get why they opted to do this, because, like... 
I feel like remember that there are kids that watch the show and like they wouldn't fucking know that. Yeah, I only know that because I was in a community service for Ed. <laughs> and let's also be real, like if any like fraternity saw like them like use any image that looked vaguely like their pins, they'd be like, fuck you. Like yeah. Degrassi would never hear the end of it. Um and as she's like trying to walk past Dean uh she tries to walk past and um uh, it's just really fucking rough. And um, Dean kind of, like, spots her, and she's just trying to, like, cut him off, trying to stop this, and he's just like, I'm not stalking you. Like, we're in a public park. There's people everywhere. Like, can we just talk about this? And they walk off, and he's just kind of like, so, like, you're serious about taking this to court? And Paige is just trying to be like, I'm not supposed to talk to you. I'm not supposed to talk to you. Like, trying to, like, kind of, like, get out of this conversation. And Dean just kind of goes straight to intimidation. He says, it's going to be really horrible going through it all. Your parents hearing the details. My girlfriend, your boyfriend. It was a really long time ago. I'm sorry. I should have listened. It was a huge mistake. If I could go back. And, you know, she's just like, do you have a point? And he goes, why go through this? You could tell them that you don't want to testify. Skip it. It'd be that easy. They just have to drop the case. And it's just fucking terrifying. He's a terrifying character. Oh, yeah, that guy's such a creep. He's disgusting. He's got that he's got that same face as well. Whoever who is the actor? Does he grow up to be famous cuz like I feel he does, but also he looked like 10,000 other guys that played that exact same archetype. He looks like a lot of other guys with that face. I feel like he has a very similar face to the actor that plays Street in Friday Night Lights. Like, I feel like it's just, like, that very chiseled, like, I know this is a Canadian show, but it's that very, like, all-American type of look. The very, like... Yeah. Cheekbone, strong chin. He, kind of, he, he, he looks like young Chris Evans and in four movies. Yeah. Older, but, like, add some buff. I like, agree. It's, it, yeah, it's a weird sleazy energy. Add some buff, take the kindness away from the eyes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like, I'm. I don't know the. I don't know the actor's life. I'm not making trying to make judgments on that. But like, he brings the scary energy with that character. He really does. Like, he really freaks me out because it's like one of those things where you look at him and it's like, I know this piece of shit. Like, I have seen this piece yeah. of shit. Like, I. He kept like every time he talked or said something. I just kept thinking, evil Zac Efron. Oh. And, like, I'm just, like, because it just, there's that weird charisma about him. And, like, I'm not saying, like, I'm just, it may put any anywhere on his side, but I'm just, like, there's something that could, I can understand being drawn in by him. The thing about him that freaks me out is how much space he demands. Yeah. At all times. Yeah, and, like, that was a really cool framing thing as well. Like, he takes up most of the literal frames that he is in um, almost yeah. entirely. And, you know, he's very physical, very close. It's it's that kind of thing as, as a very short person yes. as well, um, which being herself, I don't know how tall she's meant to be, but regardless, it's like she's a small girl. Mm -hmm. And looking up to man with a barrel jets like that kind of thing it's almost like he's like leaning over her kind of thing yeah and like as somebody who's also short like i have been in this type of situation where a large yeah. like a larger dude a guy who's like you know 
has easily a foot on me has just kind of really taken advantage of it and really tried to like put me in my place and and to see Paige trying to navigate not just the fact that this is you know this is a fucking rapist but also the fact that this is a person who is like not afraid to just consume all of the space in the area it's just he freaks me out it's a very effective way to freak me the fuck out as a viewer yeah um but you know she's just like gonna go gotta gotta go and he's just like yeah but like you know oh you're gonna drop the case right okay bye um so this is kind of where this is where basically summer ends the next scene is where we go to Degrassi proper. Spinner's parking the Love Mobile in the parking lot. He's feeling really good about himself. Toby, Liberty, and Emma establish the breakups. And Paige is entering the school in, like, mid-aughts majesty. It's an outfit. New year, new look, new Paige! She kills it. She fucking does. Um, she says her iconic new year, new look, new Paige. Um, the outfit is, like, a pink blazer a pink graphic tee like it's just it's so of the time i love it her hair is like it's long skinny like uh mardi gras beads but then doubled up yes it's so iconic oh and her hair is like that um that kind of like uh i don't i don't remember how to how to make your hair look like this but like <laughs> I, I feel like it was just kind of like you, like, took some gel and tried to muss up your hair and then, like, to give it some texture, and then, like, that was kind of it. Mm. It kind of like a zigzag pot, but the more exaggerated. It, it's, kind, it's like, can I speak to the manager multiplied by Kelly It's very Kelly Clarkson all the way through. Yes, 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 yes. It's very, very much Kelly Clarkson. Um, so, like, she's, she's, you know, looking good. Um, looking good, feeling good. Yeah, looking good, feeling good, in theory. She says good morning to Ellie. <laughs> Ellie says, hey, Paige, great outfit. I thought of you, Frank. There's your little ship. Your little crumb. <laughs> There's your crumb. <laughs> well, then, but then um, Alex, being the ever-jealous, says, Ellie, just because Princess Prissy talks to you doesn't mean you have to answer. I love Alex. I cannot wait for my Alex Page Ellie love triangle fic to premiere on AO3. I really want you to actually write Degrassi fic. I feel like it'd be really fucking good. Anyway, I, I will be the one person reading it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, um, and, you know, they're, like, kind of sniping at each other. Sean says a really weird line where he goes, as usual, glad we're guys. I don't understand. Is he just, like, making fun of the way, like, girls interact with each other? Wait, what, what did he say? Oh, yeah, I'm so glad. And he does this weird little boogity-boogity, like, finger wiggle as well. Like, <laughs> it, I, don't, I don't understand, because he could be saying, like, oh, I'm so glad I don't have to dress up for the first day of high school. Because he is dressed like a, I mean, badly. <laughs> Slim Shawnee Slim Shawnee is back baby so the next scene that we have with this plot we are at the lockers and Spinner is having the great debate with Jimmy which is whether or not he should have a picture of Mandy Moore in his locker or if Paige will be too jealous by her mere presence god I don't miss high school right uh, Jimmy is like just trying to humble brag about his experience in the summer and how, like, this, like, scout from, like, North Carolina took him to a Lakers game. And he's just like, will someone please pay attention to me? My <laughs> fucking God. 
he talk okay he talks about basketball so much I'm just like this is Chuckles basketball something's going to happen to Jimmy <laughs> if I will say nothing to confirm or deny this news but he's just like yeah I'm gonna go to a Lakers game I got to go to a Lakers game hey did you know that like people think I'm a good basketball player hey <laughs> hey and then like fucking Spinner's like yeah but what if I put up a poster of Hillary Duff and Jimmy's like what and then Spinner's reasoning is, well, she's blonde at least. <laughs> she looks more like Paige. Yeah, she looks more like Paige. And Paige says, I'd rather look like Lindsay Lohan. Which is a choice. I mean, it, at this yeah, point... That, listen, that's a choice you can make. At this point, though... Lindsay Lohan's at the top. Yeah, 2004, right? Yeah. 2004 is, uh, where are we in Lindsay Lohan's career? Y'all keep talking about the thing. I'll look up where we are in Lindsay Lohan's. I mean, it's just interesting because this episode really kind of name checks so many major women during this time period. Which is very interesting to Freaky me. Freaky Friday just came out. Oh, yeah. She's, mean Girls. Oh, yeah. She's, she, this, this, mean Girls. This reference made... This was the time to make this reference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She hadn't yet stolen the riff from Paranoid Android for her song Disconnected. That is a really specific grudge to hold against her. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I'm hold I should be holding against her songwriters. Oof. True enough. But um anyway, so Jimmy is like, hey, like why aren't why are you in school? Shouldn't you be in a court? And Paige is just like Really sarcastic about it, and eventually just is like, oh, are you my secretary? Oh, but in all seriousness, it's supposed to be tomorrow. And she emphasizes, like, how it's supposed to be tomorrow. Um, because she reveals that she's not going. And Spinner is furious at hearing this, and, like, just straight up is just like, I can't do this anymore. And is basically, like, dumps her right there in front of Jimmy, um, and Jimmy, I was surprised Jimmy wasn't, like, being a brat about it more. Because, like, I could see Jimmy just being like, ha, 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 about the whole thing. But I think he, like, he has a little bit of loyalty toward Paige that he wasn't going to do that. Well, I think this is also the Jimmy who, like, this is a Jimmy who saw what happened to Terry. That's true. Like, Jimmy knew something was up there. I don't think he knew something was up here, but I think he might have hopefully learned, like, okay, when somebody's this, when, I'm, like, you know, a woman's this upset, something happened. Yeah. Uh, although, there was a part of me that was kind of half expecting to be like, yeah, so I went to that Lakers game. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but, um, we go into the parking lot in the next scene. And Paige is trying to get Spinner's attention. And Spinner reveals why he lashed out the way that he did was because he was putting all of his emotional investment in this idea that after the trial, things would be okay between the two of them. Um, and Paige tries to reason with, like, saying, I don't need the trial. Look, it was one night almost three years ago. I've moved on. You know I have. Look, let's just go park somewhere tonight, okay? Just us. And it's just really hard to kind of see, because we've seen this before with Paige, where she tries to, like, accelerate her healing, basically. And, like, try to, like, claim that she's okay, go back to her kind of gregarious self, and lean into it, and just say, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, let's go. And 
you know, recovery is not linear and recovery is really hard and you can claim all you want that like, you know, you're ready for X, Y, and Z, but you may not be ready. Like you, you can't always like think something into existence when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. And of course, like Spinner being a teenage boy is just like, hey, like this is an invitation. Cool. I accept it. Yeah. And I can't blame him. Because <laughs> that requires a lot of like, nuance and understanding to have that conversation yeah. yeah that's like that's a level of thinking i don't expect any teenager to be able to manage yeah so we end up with a disaster of sorts which is like when we go to at night in the love mobile um it's a very rough time for Paige because things are happening like the song the song that's playing or the way that um Spinner is touching her, like, she's having flashbacks as this is happening. Um, especially because Spinner is touching, like, her chest and things that were very similar to what Dean did. And she's just having a very, very, very rough time processing this. And she's just saying, like, you know, she's yelling no. Um, and, you know, Spinner's trying to ground her and be like, you're okay, you're okay. And she's just snapping back that she's not. And she... It's just, like, I have to, like, you know, I have to go to court. Like, I have to fucking do this. And Spinner affirms that by saying that he'll go with her. Yeah. Um, so, the next scene we have is in front of the courthouse. Um, and Paige is entering with her mom. And may I say, I was really expecting... I, the mother of Paige that I conjured up in my head <laughs> was Angelica's mother from Rugrats. Yeah. That's what I've, like, mentally prepared for her to be. But in actuality, she was not like that at all. Instead, she's just, like... A mom. Super solid mom. Yeah. She's she's very much a solid mom. Um, and it's really sweet because, like, you know, Paige is just like, thanks for being here. And her mom's just like, where else would I be? Like, you know, she's just really encouraging. She's like, you're gonna yeah. be great. Um, and really supportive. And... And also, like, you know, Paige is just like, you know, this will be over when he goes to jail, which is such a real feeling that survivors have when they go through the legal system. And her mom is trying to, like, ground her again and going, like, remember what we talked about in counseling, Paige, about why we're doing this so you can get some closure and feel heard. And, like, that's kind of what she's trying to emphasize with Paige. Like, look, this may not go in your favor, but your story will be on the record. Yeah. And easier said than done, right? Yeah. Like... You can go through all the theories and everything, but at the end of the day, like, you know, this... Yeah, yeah no, I still, I mean, someone has to win a case and someone has to lose it. Yeah. And by definition of those parameters, you don't want to be the one that loses it. Exactly. Um, Spinner kind of, Spinner meets up with them, and as he approaches, Dean gets out of his, like, flashy-ass car... Um, Paige's mom is such a fucking champ. She's just, like, you know, reminding him, reminding Paige that, like, he can't hurt her and stuff like that. Um, and Paige's lawyer comes in, tries to pull mom, her mom aside, um, and Spinner and Paige just kind of glare at him, establish, uh, just stare at Dean, establish that they hate him. And Paige then kind of says, like, look, I want you to go home because, honestly, like, I don't want you to hear about all the details. And it's so sad because you kind of 
in many ways, this is almost like her revealing how the extent of her PTSD. Because she's talking about how, like, you know, she still has things just replay, 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 replay. Like, she can't stop it. She can't control it. She clearly is getting triggered by things. She's clearly having flashbacks. Like, she's having a lot of these symptoms of PTSD. And she is worried that this... Spinner hearing this, he will develop a similar type of PTSD just by hearing it. And her fear is that he'll, you know, basically develop this, want to break up with her, she's going to die alone. Which, like, I fucking... It, it broke my heart. Yeah. Lauren Collins just kills it this whole episode. She really does. And, like, I like the way that it's written because the way that she says it is... Like, you know, you can't stop it. She says, you'll dump me and I'll die alone with my six cats. And you can tell that she's, like, trying to find humor in it, even if she is absolutely terrified by the premise of losing losing someone she loves. And then begins the trial. Yeah. Um, I mean, Paige brings up that, you know, they did break up briefly yesterday. Um... And Spinner tries to, like, make her feel better by saying, like, yeah, but I, I can't dump a girl as cool as you. Like, what you're doing right now is really cool. Which is such, like, a well-meaning teenage boy thing to say <laughs> in the name. And, God, in like so cute. It yeah. is. I also love his little formal shot. Yes, he's such Precious. a skater boy. Yeah. So we go to the court scene. And, um, Dean's lawyer is fucking going in for the kill. Just, like, end of story. A lot of just, like, you went up, like, you know, basically, like, anything you could do to make accusations, but adding a question mark at the end of it. Yeah. Um, I, that's literally, unfortunately, how it goes. Like, the the questions that we are shown that she asks um, are obviously just, like, a snapshot of the questions they are taken through um, in most cases. But they, they get... They, that's how they do it. They put it to you. I put it to you that you were not raped. I put it to asking for it, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, confirm or deny that. Um, which is awful. It's a worst thing for sexual assault complainants. Um, but unfortunately, that part is very real. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I don't admittedly, like, I know a lot of, like, the mechanics of the law, I, I don't necessarily know a lot about, like, lawyers and kind of the, what it's like to be a lawyer in this world where your clientele is people like Dean. I've never really wanted to learn very much about that because I just feel like... Oh, yeah. I don't want to know. It's just one of those things I don't want to know. Defense lawyers do a very important job, um, but unfortunately, nine out of ten of them are just absolute just cunts, just complete assholes, um, who I think take a little, especially the men, take a little bit too much pleasure in doing the job that they have to do and interrogating people like this. But. I, I, had a, I have a friend who's a lawyer, and she was saying, like, yeah, like, she works in immigration law, and mm. it was basically just, like, um, as, like, an advocate... But she was just like, yeah, like, the thing about being a defense lawyer is, do you want money? Sure. How much of your soul are you willing to chop off for it? That's kind of the impression that I've really gotten 
from yeah. that. Like yeah. I said, I have not really deep, di- like, I have not done a deep dive on it and, like, the psychological toll it can have on someone or anything like that. I yeah, just, uh, I mean, it's sort of, it's got to be a certain type of personality, right? And the other thing is, it's actually, it's considerably easier in an on-paper way to be a defense lawyer rather than a prosecutor, because obviously prosecutor has, you know, the onus is on them to prove the guilt in all circumstances. And so that requires a lot more of the the paperwork and the footing, the different things. um, Whereas a defense case can be just about anything. So that's, I think that's why uh, a lot of defense lawyers end up being shitty people and rat men who (laughs) want to work in the law, but make it as shady as possible. No offense to any defense lawyers. Not all defense lawyers. Not all defense lawyers. Um, Yeah, it's just... So here's my question. Mm -hmm. Do you think the Walton family hired that lawyer in particular? You mean as a power play because of it being a black woman Mm -hmm. who is... I mean... I could see it being a political play. Yeah. It was very... It was jarring as a viewer, I felt. Yeah, me too. I felt the same way. Because, like, after... Should we... Okay, well... I mean, basically what happens is the lawyer is just, like, coming right out of the gate, just being like, you know, you... Did you willingly go upstairs with him? And Paige says, yes. And, like, that's the thing. Like, she's being totally honest. Um, And she's just like, you know... Did you, were you okay with him, like, touching, you know, going inside your blouse and everything? Um, and she's, like, trying to corner Paige into proving that she did not give any physical, like, indication that she did not want it. And, you know, just kind of like, you know, did you reject him? Did you slap him or anything like that? And Paige, of course, is like, no, I didn't. And there's this really kind of condescending moment where the lawyer goes, this is very difficult for you, I know. But, and then goes into, like, Dean touching her chest and things like that. And it's just, like, in a way, her delivery is very good in the sense that it's so unfeeling. And just so, like, this is the facts and I am trying to basically, like, use these facts to back you into a corner. And it's just really fucking hard. And... You know, Paige is trying to, to to talk, and this is a person that's trying to be honest here and is trying to grapple with some of the complicated emotions of what is happening. And the lawyer just is really leaning hard into the idea that, like, there was no physical threat here. And, you know, this is how these court cases play out a lot of the fucking time. Like... And even then, if you have physical evidence, that doesn't always lock in your case. Even if she did a kit and things like that, even if she had evidence, it was not necessarily going to be a lock for her. And that's, like, the really sad part. Um, Absolutely. I mean, the happy news is the, the turnover rate is getting better. Um... God, I should have brought some of the statistics I have with me, but um, we have some statistics about Australia and internationally um, the percentage of rapists that get acquitted 
is going down fast, um, mm. which is great. Like even compared to, you know, I don't know when this was made, but set in two thousand and four, right? Like yeah, yeah, it is. There are loops and bounds, um, but the unfortunate thing about it is it does always go like this in the same format. You know, like it, it's still a traumatic event for um, the victim and the complaint. Um, so a lot of the time, you know, the, the joy of victory is often unfortunately taken from people either way, depending, either way, depending on what the verdict is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Paige just kind of, she, the lawyer asks her how, like, how many part, sexual partners she's had. And, like, the thing that fucks me up is, like, I understand that people can do this and people get paid to do this, but, like, maybe this is just because I'm a lawful good fucker, but, like, there's a part of me that just is, like, I could never just ask a child that, even if I was, like, my job. I can't imagine looking, because Paige is a child. I'm sorry, she's a baby. I can't imagine <laughs> looking, a ki- like, a teenager dead in the eye and, and asking that. It's so hard for me to process. This episode was, we took, yeah. behind the scenes, we took a week off before we recorded this episode. Because mentally, like, I was like, I can't. Mm. This this episode destroys me in so many ways and upsets me so much. And just, like, Paige then answers it and she goes, actually, I'd like to answer that. That was my only experience and I certainly would not have chosen to lose my virginity upstairs at a house party with a guy I'd known for an hour. And that's how she tries to, like, kind of, like, shut this down. Yeah. Um, and we come to the end of the trial. Yeah, so the judge returns, and, like, there was a fucked up part of me that's like, oh, the judge is a woman. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Even though I, I know how this episode goes, because I've seen it before, but there's a part of me that's like, well, she's a woman. Um, well, that, like, the judge gives a lengthy speech saying... I don't like these cases. These are hard to, you know, preside in. But, like, based on the, you know, lack of... I, there are no eyewitnesses and no physical evidence. Mr. Walton, I find you not guilty. You're free to go. And this is... This is, like, something I noticed, like... Because, you know, they cut to Paige. And, but you can also see uh, Dean's lawyer... Yeah. And she's staring straight at Paige. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. I noticed that too. And, like, that's that's kind of got to me, is that, like, maybe the lawyer... Like, that, that's kind of, like, formulated the whole theory in my head, that, like, the lawyer kind of worked for this scummy firm, and it's just like, we'll send... We never learned the lawyer's name. We'll send no. Dean's lawyer there. And, like, you gotta... You gotta prove yourself, essentially, to her. And then, like, so she had to take this case and win it. Well, that's what I mean. Like, I've never really looked into the psychology of being a defense lawyer. Like, it's just not something I've really wanted to learn about. But, like, there is, like, a part of me that's just, like, very... I don't know. Like, I I don't want to say... It's just, like, there's something about it where it's, like... As a defense lawyer, I assume you have represented clients that you did not really believe 
but it's the nature of your job or it would set a legal precedent later on so you looked at it for like the legal precedent reason and not necessarily the case like i'm sure this is a moral dilemma that they have had but like yeah but I, they kind of i feel like and i mean i can't speak personally but i feel like the majority i get over that within the first year oh i'm um, sure um, i'm sure are usually the bulk of their working life and you know when you do something x amount of times a day over and over and it becomes not such of an issue it's like just reflexive at that point yeah that's really yeah which i mean in the same like in the same way as social workers get used to asking difficult questions to young people answers you That's know, true. like you turn off that part of your brain to it, and it still can come back, but, you know, it's your work zone. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, like, it's like this stuff in cop shows where I'm just like, I can't do this job. Right. Like, I can't shut that oh, part yeah. of my brain off. I can't make jokes about this. Yeah. So. And that's how the episode ends. Yeah, it's... Ah! <laughs> Uh, we cut back in with Paige uh, at the beginning of the second episode where she's trying to find, she's going through her clothes, she's going through her wardrobe, trying to find something to wear. Um, somebody knocks at the door and Paige yells like, Mom, I told you to keep them away. Like, how yeah. hard is that? Yeah. And Marco's like, pops in and it's just like, was I supposed to hear that? Right. Um... And Paige is basically having a meltdown. Like, she's just trying to go through her closet, and she just, like, hates everything in her closet, which, like, big fucking oof. Like, it's just so hard to kind of watch because it's such a real reaction, I feel like. Um, Yeah. And Marco's trying to, like, full steam ahead. Like, come on, like, let's go to Dylan's. And Paige says, like, yeah, because everyone loves partying with a wretched, badly dressed rape victim loser. And just like. I find it very interesting also that Marco kind of harps on like the you're not a loser bit. Because like, I, I feel like I want to believe that's him trying to like not dismiss the fact that she has gone through trauma. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like, he's not being like, no, you're not. Like, don't say that. Like, he's just kind of like, no, you're not a loser. <laughs> Maybe we should fucking do something, though. Yeah. Uh, I, it's I, interesting. I definitely feel like this is a pretty... Pretty realistic reaction to, like, something... Mm-hmm. You know, something terrible happening. I'm just like, something terrible's happened. I feel like death, so let's get some life in here. Yeah, and Marco also brings up, which I do appreciate, like, this came back, that, you know, he knows what it's like to a certain extent because he was fucking bashed back in Pride. And, like, it was a horrible traumatic experience. And no, it's not the exact same, but there's still this, like, losing your bodily autonomy feeling. And and that's kind of what he is really harping on because... He brings up, like, you know, how he wanted to change his skin. And, and there's this 
it kind of reminds me a lot of at the end of Pride, where he was talking to Spinner, and something that really rattled him about the whole entire incident is the fact that people know he's gay just by looking at him. Yeah. And there's this, like, feeling of wanting to kind of, like, rip your skin off, change who you are entirely, like, you know, light, basically light yourself on fire and become something entirely different from that traumatic experience. And it's not an identical feel... It's not an identical incident, but it's not entirely off-base to find similarity in it. it. I appreciate it because I feel like sometimes people... it, For example, Frank, when Snake is fucking dealing with cancer, and Wheels is like, yeah, like, you'll figure it out. I, I did, I, you know, I drove drunk and killed a child, but I figured it out. Like, yeah, don't, Nikki, that was a fucking mess. You missed. That, that, that is a big old mess. But, like, in that scene, I was really upset because I felt like that's not, that's not an equivalency. Yeah. And... With Marco, once again, it's not the exact same thing, but he is kind of trying to find a connection in the emotional reaction to it. Yeah. And yeah. it... Yeah, no, I thought it was nice. Yeah, it, it works. Um, even though, like, Paige does not necessarily... It doesn't necessarily reach to Paige. And that's okay. Because, like, you know, she brings up a very good point where she's just like, I just lost this case three hours ago. Like, I am fucking processing this. And while this may have been something that would reach out to her at a different time, it's obvious that this is not necessarily the time that Marco can succeed much with this approach. This is definitely kind of like, I'm going to try and plant the seeds type of situation. This is not a, yeah. a turnaround. And Marco is just like, you know, he apologizes and he, you know, he just kind of begins to get up and leave. And Paige is like, hold on, like, I'll be down a little bit. Yeah. So, it's it's just a very hard exchange. It's, I don't know, it's just, these kids have been through some rough shit. And, like, I know it's Degrassi and everything bad happens to kids at Degrassi, but I do appreciate that, that there were some continuity here, and these characters were trying to make a connection. Especially because in Marco's case, he also reveals that, like, they never found the people who did that to him. So her being able to kind of go through a legal system is is a type of conclusion that he does not have access to. And there's also something that really fucking hurts about knowing that. It, like, knowing that, you know, he, he can't seek that type of empowerment. There's no way for him, no avenue for him to seek that level of empowerment. I don't know, I just love these kids so much. Yeah. Which makes the next, next scene... Even harder. Yeah. So we're at a dorm party. Um, Marco and Dylan are dancing. Spinner, Jimmy, and Hazel are there. Spinner tries to come from behind to put his arms around Paige, and Paige, like, freaks out. And I don't blame her. Jesus, fuck. Like, I know Spinner's very inept, but, I, like, as soon as I saw him coming over, I was like, oh, fuck, stop, stop, don't do that. Yeah. It's like, buddy, no. Yeah, um, yeah especially because she was actively, like, yeah, no, she's... She's right, um, and I, I, I like the scene of her freaking out about her clothes, and then also the music being too much of a stimulation. I think a good representation of how these things go. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like you. You can really feel her sensory experiences. Like this is a. 
I didn't recall this as a as good of a portrayal of like kind of like PTSD and trauma responses as it is upon revisiting it. Like it really tries to it, there's a lot of like cinematic touches to it that really kind of fuck with you as a viewer and put you on edge as well. Yeah. I also feel like the music was really loud in this scene, which was a very good idea. Yeah. It was like very yeah, it was like very loud. It was loud and grating. It was just like a grating song. There's like parts of it that just repeat. Like it, it really is like what my brain is like when I'm going through this. But um like Paige is just kind of like she storms off after after he touches her. Um and she's like she's just like fucking oh, there's another deleted scene here. Interesting. Um, it's right outside of Dylan's dorm. Um, it's Spinner and Paige. I'm not going to do the full quote of it, but for context, Spinner and Paige, like, talk about what, have ha what has happened. Spinner tries to apologize to her, and Paige is like, we're going to drop it, we're going to fucking drop it. And Spinner's just like, you know, if you want to leave, like, I'll drive you home. And... And Paige is just like, I'm here to fucking party. Let's fucking go. It's very interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting addition. Anyway, at the party itself, Spinner does the arm thing. Um, Paige storms off, and she is just fucking... Uh, she's just so full of rage. She fucking snaps at somebody who, um, who, like, bumps into her and, like, slams her against the fucking wall. Yeah. It's scary. <laughs> and Hazel has to, like, break it up. And Spinner is like kind of vaguely looking for her. Meanwhile, Paige is like dancing with boys, doing body shots, like shit like that. Like she is hurting so fucking bad. And like it's so hard to watch. Yeah. And obviously Spinner like sees her with these guys and he's like super aggressive about it. Like tries to shove the guys away. They go into a dorm room. And Spinner is like, what the fuck is happening here? And Paige just kind of tries to take off his shirt. And Paige, like, you know, Spinner's like, what are you doing? And Paige just kind of goes, what? I'm easy. Everyone knows it. The judge, my mother, now you. Like Dean, just get me alone. Do what you want. No one will stop you. What? You don't want me? And it's just like, fuck. Like. Yeah, that was raw as hell. Yeah, and it's just, like, it, it's also just, like, it really reiterates how much, like, it's been two years. She's been in counseling. She's been in different types of therapies. It sounds like family counseling, Sauve, like, she's she's been trying to address this, and it really speaks to, like, how difficult it can be to move on from this and how there really isn't any fucking timeline. Like, I work with so many survivors at this point. And everybody's operating on their own timeline, even if they have access to resources. Like, it's just, there's so much, so much time you're spent in your own head after something like this. And it's so fucking hard to address all of it within the context of, like, professional health. And it's just so heart-wrenching seeing what she still has to unpack and still make sense of. <sighs> 
And like the fight continues and Spinner's like, I don't want you right now, no. And Paige is just like, oh, is it because Dean got here first? And Spinner just, Spinner being a teenage boy just goes, you have to let it go. Which is like the last fucking thing you want to tell somebody who's been through a traumatic experience. And Paige points out like, no, like it's not like someone took my seat. It's not like someone stole my lunch money. Like, fuck you. Like, it's not just something I can just let go. Oh my god, this fight just keeps going because Spinner's just like, you know, I want my girlfriend back. I want, like, you know, I want things to be the way that they were. And Paige is like, you don't, like, she's... Paige also says another heartbreaking line where she goes, the truth, Paige went upstairs that night. She never came back. You know what I would really like if I never had to see your idiotic face again? Okay, how about that? It is just brutal. It is. Both, you know, when I, I said Laura Collins does a fantastic job, like, I forget who Spinner actor, Spinner's actor's name is, but he also does a very good job with this scene. His acting has grown tremendously, I feel like. Yeah. I feel like, you know, the first two seasons, like, he was just kind of fucking floating through time. This time around, though, he... He really, like, is rolling with this in a way that works. And it hurts. It really hurts watching two of them interact and just, like, miss each other. You know what I mean? Like, they're just missing each other in how they are. Like, they just can't find a connection because it's just so fucking hard to. And this is also, like, one of the... the this is our, so far our longest running couple and also our most sweet-to-each-other couple. Yeah. It's just, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's a conversation that's incredibly difficult to have at any time, and especially when you're 16 and fueled by emotions and you don't have the what for these things. Um, I think Paige does a really good job, as you were saying, with that really fucking heartbreaking line about, you know, Paige went up down. Like, that's something that is really common to hear. Um, oh, yeah, I hear it all the time. Really, yeah, it's a really salient way to put it eloquent for um and obviously very respective of the representative of the the paradigm shift that she went through as well absolutely um and like he leaves and when he leaves she finds his his little carabiner clip of keys and you tell you see her just kind of staring at them you can see the gears turning in her head about it it's such a devastating scene. Um, from there, she heads to... Well, we go back to the party. Oh, yeah. Jimmy's bragging about the scout. Please listen to him about this North Carolina scout or he who's, will die. Who's coming down from where? <laughs> right? Like, what? Anyway. I will pass by the South Pole on my way back to Canada. Ah, <laughs> oh, nice. Um, and Hazel is looking around for Paige. Um, and she is, like, really concerned... Spinner is just, like, he's fucking pissed. Meanwhile, Paige finds Dean's car in front of Frat House, and she goes to the door, she kind of lies her way in by using a generic-ass name, <laughs> which, bold. Um, Paige back on the grift. She says that she's 20. Okay. Um, so she, the party is, like, beer-chugging, foosball, Dancing, like, 
all that type of shit. I've only been to one frat party, and it was a fucking nightmare. It was dark as shit. I'm not getting into that story on, on here, but it was grim and had similar elements. I I thought frats, like actual frats, were all nightmare places, so I never went near any of them. The social frats, those are the ones you gotta look out for. Um, we were just nerds. Community service frat. We didn't, yeah. we didn't have a house. We didn't have anything. We met in a classroom. That's fine. Um, Dean, as a pledge, is kind of doing grunt work by running the bar area. Um, she sees him and she's ready. She just starts saying that she has something to tell the party goers. He is, like, yelling not guilty over them, which is, like, suspect as fuck, obviously. That was so wild. Like, an absolutely crazy thing to say. Right. Um, and she then goes, like, up the staircase, yells into the party, calls him a liar and a rapist. Um, and he's trying to dismiss her as, like, a, a jilted ex-girlfriend, and eventually grabs her and drags her out of the house. Um, and he is furious. And she also yells, don't forget it, I was 15. Yup. She's fucking going in for the kill. Um, and as he's dragging her out, he is just like, you know, you're really fucking this up for me, I'm a pledge. Like, he's just so focused on himself, and so focused on his future, and does not give a shit that he has hurt someone. Yeah. Fucking unrepentant. Um, and then she's just straight up like, you raped me. And he goes, yeah. And she's like, well, you admit it? Yeah. He's vile. He is just the worst. Like, he's like, vile. Like, I've encountered my fair amount of villains in Teen Girl Talk. I don't think I've ever met anyone like this guy. Well, the thing about him is that he's real. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, when you're watching, like, a shitty Lifetime movie, like, it's such, like, a composite of bullshit that, like, it doesn't... There are some Lifetime movies that can rattle you, but for the most part, like, there is, like, this level of irreverence, I feel like, that you can just be like, yeah, whatever. But you can tell the Degrassi writers are just like, ah, yes, this is a real monster. You have maybe met this monster. And once again, taking up space, yelling at her, demanding her attention. He's so condescending during this whole entire exchange does, as well. Doesn't he wink and, like, stick his tongue out at her? Oh, yeah, he does, like, vile yeah. shit. Ugh. And then, like, he, he says, like, he must have done something right because she keeps coming back. Uh, yeah, no, that's really great. He, it's awful. Um, and, like, he also is just like, oh, yeah, you were fun. Like, call me if you want to go again. Like, the fucking nerve of this fucking monster. Mm. Yeah, he says, like, oh, you were good. And I'm like... Uh, like, it just, it, it, it does show the, the way in which young men who rape women understand what they have done, but also on so many levels don't, not, not in a way that, you know, acquits them from what they've done, just they, they don't understand the fundamentals of sex so intrinsically that they think that's an okay thing to say. Like, it's, it's wild. Well, it's like, it's like that, I mean, there's a lot of things at play, but it's like the fucked up shit that they've done plus the untouchability that young men have about themselves. 
in like mm-hmm. this sense that like I am young and death will not claim me. I am young and I will not like suffer. It's just like this perfect storm of shit that you see people like Dean react to this in this way. It's, it's awful. Um, and, you know, Paige walks back, she looks at his car, um, and Spinner is wandering the street and sees as Paige goes into the lovemobile and fucking rams the car backwards into Dean's car. Fucking, you're right? It's like, I remember this very distinctly because it's like, even, even when I was younger, like, I had not been through half the shit that I have been through, but I could identify the catharsis that was. Yes. Fucking ramming that car. I think they, they did this on Pretty Little Liars at one point, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the... It's kind of a... I don't know. I, I I hesitate to call it a trope, but I guess it's just kind of like complimenting the vengeful survivor portrayal in media where it's like, I will inflict physical... I will inflict damage, physical damage to things that you own because you have hurt me. Yeah, because inflicting physical damage to the actual person changes the narrative too much. Yeah, but I also do understand that complicated feeling that survivors do have where it's like, you know, I don't want to inflict direct physical harm on this person when they inflicted direct physical harm on me. However, I can fuck up a car. I want to take away something from you. Yeah, like, you took this away from me, now fuck you, buddy. I want to take away your toy. Yeah, and Spinner, of course, is absolutely furious that this happened, demands that she take goes home and takes a cab. Um, we do see a scene where she takes a cab. We see her, and then in that montage, which is also including Craig going to Sean's and everything, we see her at looking at a reflection of herself, at her home, in her room, and she also sees a picture of her and Spinner attached to the frame of it. Um, From uh, the dance last year. Yeah, I love how it's just like a screen grab every time. It's like, it's always like that. Um, Then we go to kind of the morning after. Spinner is approaching his car with his key, and he's trying to (laughs) unlock the back door, but it's not opening, so he just fucking tosses his backpack in the shattered window. (laughs) Oh, boy. I appreciate the levity of that. And, yeah, but, like, it's just, because it's, he's not angry, he's not upset, he's just resigned. And just like, fuck it. It's such, like, a hard, it's such a hard feeling to process, and it's just like, this is my baby car that I just bought with my own damn money. He's had for, like, 48 hours, it feels like. Literally. Oh. Yeah, like, she definitely... When I, when I saw the frame of Paige just looking at Dean, fucking ugly-ass yellow car, I was thinking, like, oh, she's gonna key it or something. The thing she could have done, but I'm still... I'm not mad at her. I, it, she looked happy about it, so I was like... Yeah, well, that's the thing. She's, like, laughing when Spinner's taking her out of the car. Like, she is fucking laughing. She should have keyed something into the one side and then backed it into the car. Can you imagine? Yeah. Like this very expansive, move, like multiple movement process to <laughs> fuck up this car. But um, meanwhile, back at school, Sove is calling Paige, reminding her that she had a appointment with her. Um, and Paige comes in, admits that she's late, um, and she's like wearing like a fucking like crocheted pink poncho. There's like a pink 
shirt that underneath. That poncho is amazing. It really was. It, a plastic poncho, it, it's gorgeous. It's the most 2000s thing I've ever seen, and I'm so obsessed. I She really stole every scene from here on, because I was like, damn, bitch, just like, killing it. She really is. Um, so, so they is leaving her a message like, hey, we had an appointment, and then Kate just like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here now. I really... (laughs) Full face of makeup. Poncho. I really did like what Save says to her here. I... I am torn. Um, But anyway, Paige tries to, like, laugh it off and be like, haha, I have multiple personalities, which is the most, like, teen reaction, I feel like, to to this situation. Right. Made you a cookie, but you did it. I actually didn't hear that. <laughs> I made you a cookie, but I eated it. No. <laughs> like, um, so they, like, you know, is like, hey, like, I know the court case stuff was rough. I don't love that she says she did the right thing. I think that, mm. but I think that comes from, like, my advocacy standpoint, because, yeah. like, you don't want to tell someone they did the right thing, because that implies that there is the right thing, when in actuality it's just, what is the thing that's gonna, that you're empowered to do in this situation? Yes. But I think that's more of a nuanced thing because I'm coming from that background, whereas I don't necessarily expect a writer who has done research. Like, you can tell the writers have done a lot of research in this episode. They put a lot of heart into this episode. I understand that they are not advocates, so they're not going to necessarily have the nuance that I do. Um, Would it be better to say doing the right thing for your, like, healing process? I wouldn't use the word right at all. Okay. I, I think that it... it Because it, that implies there's a wrong way. Yeah. There's a way to kind of insinuate it, but in a way that... There's a way to do it, but it does require nuance. And once again, I have the training. Yeah. Whereas a writer, like, even if you're well-intentioned, even if you're doing good shit... Also, this is 2004. So, you know, approaches have changed. Words have changed. Language has changed. Over time. Um, but she says that, you know... This is more of, like, the moral fight that you won. No, you didn't win the the court case in the legal sense, but you were the one who told your truth, and this was, the, that process, it was the way for you to heal. And Paige, thanks, sir. Um, so, next scene, we're in class. Paige sits next to Spinner to kind of check in on him, um, and he just kind of mutters that he hoped that crashing the car felt good, and she's just like, yeah, it did a little. <laughs> Um, and she's like but I'll get a job I'll fix the car you know I promise and as she's making this promise police are called and Spinner is called to them and then we go into the parking lot Spinner's talking to the police and they're looking at the damage to the car so fuck I mean inevitable but fuck um Paige, then next scene, Paige is in a room. She's staring at her reflection. As she's staring at her reflection, Spinner calls and reveals that he's calling, like, his one phone call from the police department to her. (laughs) And he says that he's getting charged with, like, failure to stay at a crime scene, mischief, and dangerous driving. Um, And it says that, like, look, I took the fall for you. You've been through way too much shit. I don't want you to go through any more. I'm I'm fucking saying that I did it. That is a fucking solid boyfriend move. <laughs> I feel like it's very yeah. spinner though. 
Yeah. I feel like it's so, like, teenage boy. Like, I understand that you were hurt, and I do not have the emotional capacity to support you, so this is my way of supporting you. Yeah. Cop tells him time's up. His mom's here. He ends the call abruptly. Um... Next scene, we have Paige going into the going toward the police department. As she's approaching it, Dean is like storming out, being like, "Your boyfriend is dead." I'm like, I just hate his tone. I hate him. He just this actor really knew how to play an asshole. Yeah, he yeah. does a very good job. I hope I don't know what he's like in real life, but I hope he's not like this. Right, and then like she's just like, "Yeah, but I did it," and he's just like. You know, he's, like, trying to process this, and she's just like, look, like, I'm coming clean because that's what good people do when they realize they've done something wrong. I honestly loved this bit because I was just like, oh, hello, season one and two page. Right. Like, where she's just like, oh, yeah, you remember this my soapbox where I stand morally above all? I'm stepping upon it. <laughs> yeah, like, there's this... I really... I... I I've said this before where, like, I don't want to say... I hate wishing fictional characters to go through trauma. Like, that's fucked up. Yeah. But I do appreciate the way that they have approached Paige as an abuse survivor. Because I feel like she... The way that they've woven it into her character, she's still Paige. Like, she's still definitely a fully realized character before this trauma happened. It wasn't like they created Paige with the intention of making her a survivor of sexual assault. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like it was like, we're going to have her go through this and we're going to still keep, maintain characterization and maintain who, like, she is. And obviously there are a zillion different ways that someone can process trauma. And, you know, you can make an argument for many different reactions, but I feel like in terms of a TV show where ultimately these episodes are 22 minutes, each plot is like, you know, less than that. I feel like they've been able to strike a really good balance between this is a character who's gone through fucking trauma and this is Paige Michael Chuck. Yeah. Um, and Dean is so pissed off and reveals that he has been rejected from, like, being able to pledge his frat. And she begins to walk off and he fucking growls at her like, I'm not finished. Fucking asshole man. Um... And she's just like, yeah, but um, I got more important stuff to do. <laughs> um, and she just walks to the desk and she's like, yeah, uh, about last night. I need, I have something I need to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the last scene is at Spinner's. Spinner's trying to work on his car. Paige approaches him. Um, and Spinner's like, yeah, so like what happened? Um... And Paige reveals that as punishment, she has to give up her license, and she has to do community service for a year. And she's just kind of really joking about it and trying to kind of laugh about the situation and, like, how she's going to embroider, like, you know, messages on her to, like, reiterate her status and everything. And he's like, why are you joking about it? And she's just like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> and, like, I feel like I love Paige the most when she just admits she's just fucking, like, flying by the seat of her pants. I feel like, like, that's, like, Paige at peak vulnerability in so many ways. That's when she truly takes off the facade, and she's just like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Um, and she's just kind of like, look, like, I didn't, you know, she didn't want to, she didn't want to hurt him, she didn't want to fuck up the car, um, and reiterates that she will pay, 
And also then in one fell swoop also asks him out. Yeah. Um, he's like, well, we can get, she's like, to the drive-in of all things. Yeah. And he's like, we get the car back in shape. And she just, super cute, grabs a wrench, and she's like, wrench? Yeah, it's a really cute ending. <laughs> it's adorable. It's, it's very sweet. I don't know, it's like, I, I know we, we run hot and cold with this coupling because Spinner is a bit of a bonehead a lot of the time, but... I feel like I really enjoy watching them from, like, a storytelling perspective. Yeah. I like this idea of these two people who do not have very good skill sets yet as they are teenagers, and in Paige's case, a teenager has been through traumatic shit. But ultimately, you can tell that they love each other as much as teenagers can. Yeah. But yeah. What's the rating, Frank? I'm going to give it a solid A+. Nice. It was hard to watch. From, like, start to finish. But everything was so well done. It's it's hard to find... Like, if, I can't really find a fault in it. Like, I'm trying, but I can't. Like, even the B-plot, like, seemed to work for me. Yeah. That was good. So. I mean, I... I... As someone... I mean, it's my job to do a lot of stuff that is terrible and has to do with terrible things. Um, so I found it very easy to watch um not to say that i wasn't affected by it and that it was a tragic story um but compared to the last episode i was on with you guys it it, it is definitely matured and blossomed not only thematically but when it comes to the cinematography um and well i've not it up a whole lot and things just make a lot more sense um visually and you know audio wise like it's it, uh, a more well-structured show now um so that's that's my take i agree um so shall we go to character rankings you can keep this kind of breezy uh dean uh remains in the third mouth of the devil along with rick and somebody else, I think the pedophile from episode one, they, the three of them will be forever be gnawed on by the devil. Good. Um, locked in the lake of hell. Um, Paige is staying in her galactic throne. Uh, Spinner is also getting up there. I didn't, he wasn't as hateful as he's been. Knowingly hateful, it was just like, he was just trying his best in a bad situation. Yeah. Um, Craig is on the ups for when the rubber hit the road, he wanted to help. Joey's on the ups for being a pretty solid dad. Caitlin, I don't, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> um, Jimmy, nobody cares about your basketball career that much, you're staying Ooh. in the middle. Hazel... No. Hazel for, like, trying to help a random girl. You're on the up. You know what? Dean's frat for cutting him. You're on the up, too. Yeah, that was actually an okay decision made by a frat. Marco, you, um, decorating. Marco's just talking. He's so cute. He's perfect. He's so cute. Um, Dylan, way to be a solid uh, boyfriend. Uh, you're doing great, too. Um, who else is in this episode? Ashley, I'm not enjoying you being like, let's spend this money. 
Yeah, enabling. Ellie, there's not enough of you. Alex, oh my god, I'm so excited you're part of the next episode. Hell yeah. Um, I think that's it. Nice. Nikki, do you have anything, any input on character rankings? Um, I, see, I think this was probably the first time I met Ashley, so mm -hmm. I very much do like her, um, and she was in line with what I would have probably done in that situation, which, when I was in high school, which made me very endeared to her, so, uh, I would say, I, I, she, I don't know about universal rankings, but she's in my good books for sure. I like mm -hmm. her. Um, sing icon, queen, we do stand. Um, regardless of her plot and narrative and, you know, the actor's really good acting. Um, her wardrobe really was just the cherry on top. It was exactly what this episode I'm not even kidding. Like, her, her fashion... Uh, really added a little element of joy to this two-parter that I think it needed. Mm -hmm. um, Spinner, uh, as I said, he's just such a brat. He's just such a little shit. Um, he's a good boy. He's doing his best. A+. Plus. Um, who else? Is it Marcus? What was that? What's his name? Marco? Uh, uh, Marco, yeah, that is Marco. Um, fuck yeah, he's the representation that we deserve as fashionable, ridiculous gay. Um, who else was there? Oh, I like um, Hazel. I Me too. Wasn't Me sure too. about her name at first, but she seems sweet. Um, very nice of her to pick up that girl that was bullied on the whole that girl really freaked out when uh Paige bumped her into a wall yeah she did I mean you that's between you and your god man um <laughs> and also for trying to help me with Paige yeah nice yeah good ones all around it's true let's move on to recommendations uh this is where we recommend things that are adjacent or things that we're enjoying etc etc my recommendation, I have some stipulations on it. It's called The Music of What Happens. It's by Bill Konigsberg. Um, I don't actually love this book as much as I wanted to. I don't think it's perfect. I think it does not do a good job with mental illness, quite frankly. However, of that fault, it handles sexual assault very well. And, like, featuring a male athlete processing his rape. And it is not the focal point of the story. The focal point of the story is actually these two boys joining together, falling in love while they're trying to run a food truck for the summer. Hmm. But this is kind of an undercurrent that does eventually become an issue in his relationship with the other boy. So very similar themes to what we are seeing in this two-parter, in the sense of like how Paige is trying to move on from that incident and trying to like develop a relationship with Spinner and how that does get in the way of intimacy. We see that in a certain way, in a certain extent in terms of this story as well. I do have stipulations. I don't think it handles mental illness very well. It has like one of those like, well, mom is mentally ill and she's a bad person because of it type stuff, which I hate. But I do think it's having a character trying to process sexual assault with a voice that is not always heard in the context of sexual assault is worthwhile. 
Okay. Nikki, do you have a recommendation? Uh, I don't know if this is going to be super on brand, but I can I recommend a podcast or is that a crime? Sure. Absolutely. Totally. Okay. Um, I've started a new podcast called Cult Podcast. Um, oh, this has been on my list. There, there are multiple cult podcasts. Um, there's one that's just called Cult and one that's Cult Podcast. Definitely Cult Podcast that has the brightest color scheme you'll ever see of, like, yellow and reds. That's the one to go for. Um, it is a lot of fun. Um, three hosts are really enjoyable to listen to, um, and they do amazing job at researching. Um, cults are a real big interest of mine, and I judge any kind of true crime um, or facts-based, knowledge-based podcast by how niche they go. And these guys actually have a episode about the cult that lived up my street. So oh shit! These guys are pretty niche. Um, so yeah, they've been bringing me a lot of joy lately. They are also really empathetic and. They're, they, where possible, they talk about they talk about or recount um, ex member stories, um, which I think is really valuable. And um, yeah, no, I, I think it's a really good take on the genre. I will only listen to anything about true crime or any terrible facet of life if it is by really empathetic people, um, and also if those people are from some kind of marginalized group or another, just not straight white cis men. Mm -hmm. um, because it adds a specific nuance to the conversation. And yeah, no, I can absolutely recommend 10 out of 10. It's all, it's, it's all I've listened to lately. Nice. And Frank. Um, I'm going to rate something. I'm going to recommend something that I've seen. Um, clips of, have not been able to watch the whole show, um, but have heard wonderful things about. I'm going to recommend Doom Patrol. Um, have, have you all heard about that? Um, I vaguely heard about it, but I have not experienced it yet. Uh, it's pretty... Yeah, I know I've heard about it, but I just think of Paw Patrol. <laughs> um, Brendan Fraser as Robot Man. <laughs> oh. Hmm. Um... It's just, like, a bunch of misfit superheroes, but, like, it was written by uh, Grant Morrison uh, throughout most of the, um, uh, throughout most of, I believe, the 80s and 90s. Um, it's, a, it, it's a very interesting show. Um, it actually does have some pretty good representation. Um, there's, like, this living street called Danny the Street, um, and they're, okay. like, a safe haven for people who have no other home. So that means, like, all LGBTQ, like, people show up there. And they, like, Danny keeps them safe. And they also keep each other safe and keep Danny safe. Um, but, yeah, it's excellently acted. It's excellently, like, it's funny and well-written. So I would suggest giving it a look. Nice. Um... But yeah, at one point, the Bureau of Normalcy comes after Danny in the street, and like, they like, everybody comes together to fuck up the Bureau of Normalcy because fuck being normal. Mm. So. Okay, now officially, Nick, you've made it through. 
Yay! Yay, for real! Mm. Um, are there ways that people can continue the conversation with you? Um, yes. You can at me on Twitter. My handle is Nicarius, spelled N-Y-C-R-E-O-U-S. Um, otherwise, my Instagram is Nick Nevin, N-I-C-N-E-V-N. Um, chat to me on either of those. Hit me up. My DMs are open, so slide right in. Again, if you do want to buy foot pictures, um, they are $10,000 each, and I will spend them on a cool 69 guitar. <laughs> Excellent. Um, if you want to keep in touch with the podcast, there's a couple ways you can do it. You can email us at ihopod at gmail.com. Feel free to send any questions or comments. You can also send us any requests to appear on certain episodes or, or if you have a certain character you would like to speak to or anything like that. Please do not hesitate to email us. We would love to have you on. We also are providing um, the space for any people to submit any text or audio files talking about how Degrassi, a character, an arc, or an episode has impacted them. Um, we always want to hear from you. I know a lot of people have said they would do it and then have not actually emailed it to me. So this is me telling you that thing that you've had on your to-do list. You've been moving week to week to week. You should do it. Um, there's other ways you can talk to us, too. You can join our Facebook group at I Hope I Can Make It Through Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at I Hope Pod. Um, also, we are having our review challenge. We got another review, Frank. I don't know if you saw it. Um, we are making our way to 20 reviews. Once we hit 20 reviews, we are going to open it up to the Degrassi archives where we're going to give you some bonus episodes in which we check out Degrassi, the next, genera uh, next generation's predecessor, uh, Degrassi High and Degrassi Junior High. Um, so you will get double the content as a thank you for helping us out with reviews. Um, we also have our coffee account with the link is in the description. Any coffee that we get is going toward tech upgrades as well as guest appearances. So do not hesitate to send it our way. We really appreciate it if you do so. But of course, no pressure. If you want to talk to me individually, you can follow me on Twitter at DM is unbreakable. Um, I don't have a Twitter, but I do have another podcast called I I know I said I hope I can make it through. <laughs> <laughs> another podcast called Teen Girl Talk. Um, it's where my sister and I review just about everything. Um, I think the, uh, topic of conversation the week this comes out will be the movie Ma, starring Octavia Spencer. Oh, okay. Um, Should I see that? It's Is not... it good? Just tell me yes or no. Should I see it? Okay, so you know how Octavia Spencer is the villain, supposedly, according to the previous? You're going to be on her Probably. side, but you're going to be on her side by the end of it. Fuck yeah. I'm always on her side. And, but my, She's my angel. My sister made the point, like, if it was Octavia, if it was anyone other than Octavia Spencer, you probably wouldn't be. Mm. Huh. Um, so if you want my services, uh, you can hit me up at realteengirltalk at gmail.com. Uh, $100 for kissing, $500 for snuggling, end of list. Nice. <laughs> Boundaries, very clear. Right, does not have feet. <laughs> well, I got wheels down there. <laughs> I get it, buddy. Um, My feet are like a Baba Yaga chicken feet. That's the thing, though. I never know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like, or more. Yeah, I don't know either, to be honest. I know I'm very small, and people often men, men will comment in public like oh my god you have such small feet and i'm like yeah you why you gotta bring that up because now i'm thinking about every time a man has ever complimented my small feet and now i'm scared yeah. men are terrible yeah, you will be. 
Um, anyway. Okay, I just want to throw this out there. I did steal that joke from 30 Rock. Okay, fair enough. Um, anyway, everybody. We hope we can keep making it through. And that you're going to be there with us. See you next week. Later. Bye. Bye.